We are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating our rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. For the Vandals of Idaho. Welcome back, Tribe from the North, Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and the Vandal Affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Hammond, and joining me today, we have the Professor Brian Marceau. How the heck are you, Brian? September's within sights, man, so I'm doing great. Yeah, we were pre-show. We're talking like Idaho State plays in like 18 days. That's wild. Uh, but uh, no, no, but best of all time, Alex Bo Boatman today. We've got no producer Dammer running the show from the shadows, but we do have the biggest brain in the big sky, Coulter Nuanas <laughs> joining us. Coulter, how are you? Good, man. I'm excited to be on here, man. I've always had an affinity for Idaho. So I, uh, I grew up. Uh, next door to my cousin Erica, who's only grow- who's only five months older than me, she's one of my best friends my whole life, and we lived next to each other throughout time. But she grew up in Coeur d'Alene during her high school years, and then went to Idaho. And so I always had like a connection to Moscow, and I would always go over there. And I always thought Moscow was so cool. So I was so stoked when Idaho got back in the league, and I'm so uh, excited to be on this podcast because I I listen to this stuff all the time, and I love what you guys do. Yeah, well, hey, we're happy to have you because you're kind of like, uh, I don't know, the gatekeeper, as it were, to the <laughs> big sky. I mean, that you are the guy who knows the most, and that's why we're like, all right, we're breaking down the big sky today. Uh, we've had Taylor Barton on. Um, we're like, we've had other podcast, you know, members on, but we're like, let's let's swing for the fences and let's get the big guns. Let's bring in Coulter. <laughs> so we're well, thank you for joining us. Of course, saying. man. Thanks for the invite. I, uh, I wish you guys could have bailed me out of what I just spent the last three hours doing. I, uh, I'm fortunate enough to be one of the few people in the world that can buy a house in uh, Western Montana right now. I kind of fell into it. We won't bore the people with the story of that. But I had to take my first time home buyers class, the first of three three hour sessions. I thought it was going to be you know non interactive. Active. No, it turns out it was very interactive. I had to be engaged for the full three hours. So uh, I wish we could have done this instead, but uh, happy to be here. Yeah, well, then it's a great way to end the evening, right? That's right. <laughs> Perfect. All right, well, like we said, we're, we're going to preview the big sky, so let's get into this for everybody. Uh, Round the Bar brought to you by Hughes River Expeditions. Um, so real quick, just for Coulter and our new listeners and everyone that's listening, how we do this is we do kind of a composite fantasy-style snake draft. So what we do with this is like – this way, you're not going to get blamed if, like, somebody puts, like, if Coulter's picking first and he picks Idaho at 13, that's not on Brian and I, right? Like, you can wash your hands of some picks you disagree with, which is kind of the benefit of this. And it's not us just comparing our uh, Big Sky Media Day polls. Um, Brian, this is your, your brainchild, your creation. Did I basically nail how you would like someone to describe it? Absolutely. You're going you're gonna to end up with a composite tubs preseason poll it's not going to match anyone's individually but uh man we all listen to this stuff from a ton of people and i can tell you the part i care about is when people talk about the teams not when they talk about their polls so that's what we're doing yep this is all based on teams not why we had somebody where and then basically to give you a preview of what we think those teams are going to look like and maybe not where we have them but uh, did you put any thought into who you want to give the number one pick to or 
You know what, Chris? I, I, I should give it to our guest, but I think the last pick is the most boring. I think if we're going to make this volatile, you should have the uh, number 13 pick. I'm taking the Cal Poly Mustangs at number 13. Now, I do this is not where I took them, obviously. Uh, in my poll, we published our article on that. You can check it out on tubsattheclub.com. But for me, I think it's just the most likely team that if we take a snapshot of this at the end of the season, could be sitting there at 13. Uh, but Baldwin had some struggles in the spring. He gave nothing to really give me confidence. I understand that he didn't get to play with most of his recruits going into last year. You also have uh, Jalen Hamler transferred out. You have Hunter McKay that transferred out. So, like, now he's a completely new quarterback situation, which, once again, maybe it's kind of like Idaho a couple years ago. Addition by subtraction um, could be a good thing. You still have Shotwell and all those guys on defense. I just – I. <laughs> It could be good. I just don't think there's enough pieces there for them to do it this year. And the scheduling gods didn't do them a ton of favors either. They don't have the most difficult schedule, but they certainly don't have the easiest as well. Brian, you got any any rebuttals or things you kind of got on the? On we are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we got a little extra intro there. That's wild. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah no, dude, before we throw it to Coulter, um, I think if you paid attention to the spring you may have you may have had the honor of seeing the single worst football team you will see for your entire life when Cal Poly lost 73 to 24 at UC Davis and followed that up losing 62 to 10 uh, at Eastern Washington got a ton yeah, of faith in Bo Baldwin too. Mike, Mike Kramer's uh, second year at Idaho State that team that lost uh, 80 to 8 to Nebraska and gave up like 450 yards rushing for the whole season. That has to be a contention for the worst teams ever. Anyway, but you, sorry you to just framed <laughs> no, dude, you just framed it 80 to 8 to Nebraska. Yeah, dude, right. that's rough. They almost did the same thing to Eastern Washington. Right, right. So, I mean, I've got faith in Bill Baldwin to turn around because outside of last year, he has only been great in the big sky. Yep. But uh, look, let's if we're pretending the spring for. Cal Poly was just like their midterms to see how how things are turning around there. There's a, a lot more work in getting that team into uh, something competitive than I think a lot of people, when we, we first heard the name Bo Baldwin, may have thought. Uh, or it's just going to take longer, I think, than I know I thought just based off the Bo Baldwin pedigree culture. Coach Baldwin, I, Cal Poly will win a game or maybe even two that they're not supposed to this year because Baldwin will out-scheme somebody or uh, whoever might be the quarterback will get hot, I think. Uh, Baldwin, will just, he'll figure out a way to call a great game because that's just what he does. I mean, he's one of the best play callers in the history of the league. He's one of the best head coaches in the history of the league. Uh, I think he'll have a guy at quarterback. I don't know if that guy is going to be an upper echelon quarterback, but I guarantee you he'll be at least adequate because Baldwin will have had some time to work. I know they have a Cal transfer. That was with Baldwin at Cal. Um, but more than anything, I mean, Chris kind of mentioned the scheduling. Uh, at Skyline Sports Com, we did a, a little schedule analysis, basically just assigning a point value to what the media poll uh, indicated in terms of the prediction of the finish. Uh, not necessarily my poll, but just what the media poll said. And when the media poll and the coaches poll mirrored each other this year, with the exception of the final two, which were Cal Poly and Northern Colorado, which uh, wait, that's probably where this is going to go next. But uh, in terms of the, the strength of schedule, let's say you know, Weber State's number one. They're worth 13 points. 
Montana's number two, 12 points, et cetera. The second point is Cal Paul. That's good. For developmental purposes, and uh, I, I fully agree. I think that they're either last or second to last in the league only because of the scheduling challenges and the new coaching staff and the complete change in identity. So, Coulter, you, your connection cut out about your first two paragraphs. But uh, to paraphrase, part of what you said is Cal Poly essentially uh, in the big sky. They, they might not have a winnable game until right around Halloween. That's you're at Montana, Weaver State, at Montana State, UC Davis, at Portland State, at Sac State. I mean, that's in my estimation, that is the six best teams in the league, with the exception of Eastern Washington and Idaho. So, uh, you're, you're staring 0 and 6 at the face. Can you beat Idaho State at home when you're already 0 and 6? I don't even know. So, yeah, I totally agree. I think that they just have uh, a really tough schedule and, uh, a uh, tough transition all the way around. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I was at. I did basically the same thing with uh, that Coulter kind of did with the, the breakdown of the schedule, strength schedule, comparing stuff. And yeah, in mine, I had them second just with a barely tougher schedule than Northern Colorado. Uh, they have the second hardest road schedule and the fourth toughest home schedule. So it's not getting easy for them. I think we've locked this in. Cal Poly is a pretty safe bet for 13, but uh, I guess let's go with uh, Mr. Marceau second here. Or no, we, we stole it from Coulter. So, Coulter, who would you pick at lucky number 12? I got Northern Colorado. I mean, I think these, these are the two uh, actually easiest predictions in the league just because they do have new coaching staffs trying to instill new identities. And by my estimation, they also have the two toughest schedules. So, you look at Northern Colorado. Uh, they got a coin flip game at home against Northern Arizona to start, and then at Montana State, Eastern Washington, at UC Davis, a little reprieve with at Southern Utah, but then Sac State, Montana, and Weber State to finish. You're playing all the best teams if you're Northern Colorado, the best six in the league on your schedule, and uh, that combined with the fact that they're going to go through this transition with Ed McCaffrey, never been a head coach. Uh, I just think that – I actually think that McCaffrey's hiring gives them – some sort of optimism for the future, but I don't think that that's now. The only way that Northern Colorado is more than a one-win team in conference play to me is if Dylan McCaffrey is just out of his mind. And he could be. I mean, he's a four-star recruit. And that's one interesting yeah. factor I'm sure we'll get to uh, within this episode. There's multiple guys that were former four-star recruits that are uh, vying for quarterback spots in the Big Sky Conference. But all that said, I still think new head coach, a guy who's never coached in college, Combined with the toughest schedule in the league, UNC is going to have a hard time uh, this year, year one, Ed McCaffrey. Yeah, uh, my I can't argue about anything that Coulter said. The only reason I have Northern Colorado kind of higher than uh, Cal Poly when I had the pick at 13 is quarterback. And I, I think with not knowing who's coming in at Cal Poly, I mean, knowing, but like the two, they lost all their quarterback production from last year. Uh, I know the same can be said for Northern Colorado, but it's a four-star quarterback. He's coming from a program like Michigan, not exactly Cal. Like, I just have more faith in the quarterback position. 
uh, with McCaffrey at the helm. I think McCaffrey, Ed McCaffrey's done a lot in the recruiting trail. Probably a little yeah. too early for a lot of that to show up. But I agree. It's kind of like what you were saying with Kyle Pauly. They're going to beat somebody. Um, you know, I had in my projection model, it says 0 and 8, but they're not going to go 0 and 8. Uh, sometimes when you look at these, obviously Cal Poly and Northern Colorado get punished for not playing themselves. Uh, but I, I think it's a pretty comfortable that those are probably most people's bottom two. So I, I have no issue with uh, the the Northern Colorado pick at 12. I think with quarterback play, they deserve the nod at 12 over 13. Brian, what do you think? Well, the, the fact that we have to discuss is that Greeley no longer has the natural long grass slowing everyone down. <laughs> well, really? Uh, they got turf? Yeah, they dude. Yeah, turf. they're, they're See, turf. this is okay. So, this is my PSA. This is what happens when you cut your sports department in your local paper. They don't have sports department at the Greeley Tribune. And <laughs> so, I don't know that kind of stuff. That's public information that should be known, regardless. That's the PSA <laughs> for the day. Read your local newspaper. But, regardless, I didn't know they had turf. That's actually interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's all which, ripped up. Uh, I mean, Ed McCaffrey is the story. Prior to Ed McCaffrey, for us, the story was always how long is the grass. Um, I, I will say a little asterisk with Northern Colorado. If they're going, if they can start quickly, they have a actually an out-of-conference schedule a school like Idaho would kill for, where, yeah, they open at Colorado. Sure, that's to get paid. Uh, but they have consecutive FCS games at Houston Baptist, and then they host Lamar. Then week one in Big Sky, they've got Northern Arizona. So I'm I'm 100% on saying this team is there, – there's no reason at this point to say anything above second, second to last place. I mean, last time we saw them play, they were in that five-way tie, or I think it was five-way tie for last place. But if they can turn it around, the front end of their season, you know, heading into week five, the, they're go, the story of the Big Sky is going to be Ed McCaffrey's big turnaround. Of course, it's going to fall apart afterward because it has no choice but to fall apart. But if there's something going – like everyone we talked to from Northern Colorado is extremely confident that this team is going to be something that people don't expect. And mm. if, if that your definition of that is, yeah, they'll win a couple games, sure, I'll, uh, I'll give it to you. But, no, I mean, we, we, did, we just did this with Bo Baldwin in the spring until we actually see a real turnaround. That's a, it's a, putting too much stock in just the name Ed McCaffrey to put them anything above second to last. Yeah, no complaints for me. I just think that the uh, the name Northern Colorado, unfortunately, uh, just precedes Northern Colorado football because I think that pretty much every quote-unquote accomplishment that they've had since they joined the Big Sky Conference, which certainly are uh, fleeting, have been sort of misacknowledged or not acknowledged enough, partially because of the local media coverage they get, partially just because of the name that they have. But, like, People don't really remember that Northern Colorado went six and five two consecutive years. I'm not saying that that's some windfall, but it's it's better than people think Northern Colorado has been. 2015, 2016, Northern Colorado went seven and nine in league play. So did Montana. <laughs> so, and they beat Montana. You know what I mean? So. Oh, yeah. I guess what I'm getting at is that they they face the biggest uphill battle. I guess that was my my two part question for you guys: Do you consider quarterback, yes or no, the most important position in football? Yes. And so, how about the fact that Northern Colorado has the best quarterback in the league, yet we think that they're definitively, unquestionably the second to last team? Isn't that ironic? 
Yeah, it is. And that's where I think this could all explode on our face. Well, I think, honestly, there is a strong chance that either Cal Poly or Northern Colorado, if not both, surprise everybody this year. We'll win like, we, three games, win four yeah. games. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, or, or more. I mean, we talk right. about how in 2019, our Big Sky Big Takes or Big Sky Podcast Network's like Power Poll, we had Sac State dead last. They right. won the conference, right? Like, sure, it's yeah. the big sky. Somebody always seems to come out of nowhere. Why not these guys, right? And I mean, would it, would it really surprise you? I mean, Kevin Thompson was the key to Sac State's whole thing, right? Yep. And he's a two, former two-star recruit that goes to UNLV to play for Bobby Houck and then windingly finally finds his way to Sac State. But he's the a Walter Payton finalist from the Big Sky Player of the Year mm-hmm. as, as that caliber of a recruit. And, uh, Dylan McCaffrey's twice that pedigree. Yep. So, I mean, what if he just completely balled out? I don't know. That's Big the whole show. thing. I guess that's the only part I'm playing devil's advocate about is I don't necessarily I, – I got Northern Colorado 12 for sure. Yeah, but, and they had a point in their time period, like we talked about, well, it's Northern Colorado if he leaves. They did. It was D2, but they had a period sure. of time where in seven yeah. seasons they had five 10-plus win seasons. So, like – 100% two national championships? Had, yeah, they've had success. It's just oh, no, they haven't I mean, found it at the I FCS mean, level. It could for, come. For sure. I mean, Joe, Joe Glenn – the the coach who led Montana the 2001 national championship was at Northern Colorado right before that. That's how he got the opportunity at Montana. So yes, Northern Colorado yeah. does have tradition. They've just had a hard time keeping up at the D1 level. So I got to talk us off the ledge of the quarterback thing really quick because we sure, actually sure. just saw why. Yeah, like the quarterback is the most important position, but there's the subtext of that is you can't suck everywhere else and have the quarterback position matter that much and exhibit a. NAU just in 2019 with Case Cook as the best sure. quarterback and like one of the best quarterbacks in history of the conference, sure. at least history sure. of NAU. They tied for last place and got annihilated at the end of the well, season by Idaho and a certain dead horse at quarterback we choose to not talk about on this show. No question. The, the thing is, though, that the, 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 the example before Northern Arizona is Northern Colorado. I mean, Seth Lobato, who was a drop down from Colorado. He was a non-drafted free agent who played in the league for four years. Then their next guy, Kyle Sloter, was drafted and is still in the NFL. He was a part of the Minnesota Vikings active roster last year. So what I'm saying is what Big Sky team has had back-to-back NFL quarterbacks? Yeah. And Nip was getting some looks. And and exactly. And Nip got some looks too. Exactly. So Brian's point is so well taken because – Actually, quarterback has been the least of the worries of Northern Colorado for a long time. Yeah, there well, some the teams that just trained. has good quarterbacks. So they sure, can, sure, and, and, and also Northern Colorado's biggest problem is they've had the worst offensive line. It's it's a Joe Burrow situation, right? Like, doesn't yeah. matter how good your quarterback is, if you have a the worst offensive line in the league, you have no chance. Yeah, yeah. Milo Hall rushing a hundred times a game for seventy-two yards a game <laughs> right. was yeah. But uh, to put a button on Northern Colorado, guys, uh, Coulter already talked. Coulter made reference to it. Northern Colorado, at least in energetically, uh, based off inertia, whatever you want to call it, they seem like a team that they really have to turn things around. Their last winning season, 2016, that was Idaho's last winning season, too. Yeah. All right. Well, Brian, uh, we I bet you there's some Northern Colorado people listening to this that were like, holy smokes, we thought they're going to breeze through us, and we just spent a st- quality screen time here on Tubs of the Club. Uh, who's getting some the next quality screen time at number 11? This might be a bit of a bomb. Portland State. 
On I mean, <laughs> wow, I already know where they are. Yep. No, <laughs> there's a noted uh, Portland State believer. Yeah, this, this will be fun. You aren't kidding. We're getting some screen time. I have a hunch. <laughs> yep. So Portland State. Um, this also might sound like a pretty brazen pick for a team that last time Idaho saw them, they I, Portland State shut us out 24-0. Um, what I'm going to say about Portland State is I swear every single year it seems like the story about them is the same. Bruce Barnum's getting this great recruiting class as they're turning around. They just lost an NFL. They lost an NFL level tight end in 2019. They weren't they weren't particularly great in 2019. I know Montana fans like Davis Alexander a lot because Dante Olson should have killed him, but Davis Alexander stood back up. But I, I, whenever I look at Portland State, you subtract that Idaho game. What I see is underwhelming, and I can tell you also in 2019, Portland State's record looked okay because they beat awful teams, and that was just about it. Start out the year okay uh, because they had a pretty soft schedule. They looked good against, I think it was Kansas in 2019 in a non-conference, but um, I, I just got to tell you, this is a team that I know I'm supposed to think they're okay. I just have no faith in Bruce Barnum, and I, I just tend to think whenever Portland State has an attribute, it's overvalued by about 25%. It's kind of like the New York Knicks dynamic, where if you play for New York, people just assume you're 25% better than you actually, actually were. That's kind of how I feel about Portland State. So that's to me that they're not going to finish top half the conference. I'll, I'll take this before we let Coulter go on the super. I'll, I'll, you went from the negative. I have a little bit of the positive. I know Coulter's a little bit bigger of a believer in them. Um, there is some fact that yes, they've had some good recruiting classes and I think it's going to kind of come together. this year. I think Davis Alexander is kind of underrated for his mobility. I like liken him to like Johnny Manziel light. Uh, he's just very, very light. You mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we're not talking about Texas A&M here, but, uh, I mean, he, he's good. And is he going to be the best quarterback in the league? No. Um, but I mean, he's still good. And then you look at it, the schedule's not exactly super difficult. So like, that's where like, maybe there's a little bit of wiggle way. Uh, I just, They've got the transfer in. Uh, they, basically, they've got a bunch of these dudes from Union High School that won the Washington State Championship a couple of years ago. Actually, the guy who Vandal should know, C.J. Jordan, actually stepped in to fill one of the transfer shoes who committed to Nebraska. Uh, so, I mean, you're looking at a guy that basically had a job over our starting quarterback, who we're all – well, not named starter, but b- b- the guy we believe in. They also got Jojo Sifo Feli from that team, uh, who I remember watching that game. And because I was going, because Idaho had an offer out to Alishon Taylor, who was a tight end who committed to NAU. And I remember going, that was the guy who stood out to me. And I was sitting there like, this is, a, I hope Idaho offers him. He committed to Portland State. Now he was young. He hasn't seen the field. I just think some things are brewing. I'm a little bit more likened to where, Brian, you have them picked here, where I do think they're going to be towards the bottom third. Um, but I don't. I wouldn't have picked them at eleven. Uh, but I mean, like you said, we hear it every year how great the recruiting class is, and they still uh, finish not super. But usually, I mean, I feel like they usually finish between eight and ten. So maybe eleven's a little rough. Coulter, what do you think? Well, um, a lot of things. Um, 
I think the, the, the saga and story of Bruce Barnum at Portland State is one of the great stories um, in the modern era in the Big Sky Conference, only because of the full and utter lack of institutional support that they receive. I feel like they receive less institutional support, both uh, morally and financially, than any school in the entire or any any program in the entire league. Um, that magical 2015 season when they won nine games, got a playoff seed, and uh, had perhaps the greatest season, at least Division One season in Portland State history, uh, was so accentuated by the fact that they also rode a bus everywhere that they went. Uh, they beat two FBSs, including uh, the largest margin of victory by an FCS over an FBS ever. Um, and you're right. That narrative has carried Bruce Barnum all the way to this season. And they haven't lived up to expectations. They have had heralded recruiting classes. Barnum is a media darling, yet they're still losing by eight points every time they go on the road. And, that, and that's just been sort of the status of their, of their uh, saga. But I think that uh, Davis Alexander, it's funny because, uh, sure, he's not as talented as Johnny Manziel, but he's a hell of a lot tougher. And uh, I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in the league. The ironic part about Davis Alexander is that Jeff Choate and now Brent Vegan, Bobby Houck, Jay Hill, and for sure Paul Petrino would all love to have Davis Alexander. That would be all of those guys, dream quarterbacks, man. A tough, good leader, can run, can throw. Like, that's – he would be – he he's like – Mason Petrino on steroids. He's he is so much of he seriously though, like Choate would have loved him. Hauk would love him. He's like Dalton Speed too. Like he's he's that style of quarterback, which I think is sort of the new age uh, elite quarterback in in the Big Sky Conference. But um I know that the the most late the latest sample size for Portland State is the game at Montana, and Montana thrashed him for sure. Uh, but they didn't have four other five offensive line starters in that game. They got transfers coming in. I think Darian Chase, the transfer from Nebraska, uh, should be one of the uh, breakout players in the league this year. Uh, Manuel Dogbe, I mean, Barnum thinks he's a pro. I think he's a pro. Barnum told me he thinks he's their best player, no question. Um, I think that flex defense can give people at least a little bit of trouble. I got Portland State. Uh, in the top half of the league. I know I'm in the minority on that, but I think that they have a favorable schedule. I think they have an opportunity to start 4-0 and in league, so then if they can figure out a way to uh, even split or even go 1-3 and down the stretch, that's still an accomplishment for them. But more than anything, I think that there's the institutional factor that this is a paramount year for Portland State football. Barnum's contract year. What, what does the institution want to do about football? Are they going to continue to support it? Do they want to make a move out of the Big Set Conference and drop football? That's an opportunity. Do they want to go D2 in football? That's an opportunity. Do they go independent? Do they stay in the Big Set Conference? Is football sustainable at Portland State? The last time they made this statement to Bruce Barnum, they made the playoffs. Will it be a similar yeah. motivation? I don't know. But I, I, I do yeah. think that Portland State has some motivating factors for sure. Yeah. And we do have to tell Colter, part of why I was laughing, is in our Tubbs the Club text uh, group text, I may use the term varsity Mason Petrino to describe Davis. <laughs> I love that. It's true though, man. Like, yeah. okay, we don't need to go down that. That, that yeah. horse has been beaten to death, but yep. I love uh, some Davis Alexander, man. Yeah. I, I just, I and, think he, he's the type of tough quarterback that a lot of coaches in the league. Would and, like. 
And we're sleeping on possibly the best defensive player in the entire league, too, and Anthony Adams. So, I mean, you're looking – we got got a a lot of really good linebackers. The first guy out the board in the NFL draft could very well be the corner from uh, Portland State. So, I mean, there is talent on that roster. But, I mean, we'll see. Can Bruce Barnum get it together? I guess that is a question on Portland State finishing higher than 11. And this is also why – this is why I don't mind – putting them this low is I'm going to bracket them no different than Northern Colorado, where if they turn around, it's because of something we haven't see, seen. In 2019, Idaho was their best win. They had wins over the entire season. They beat Eastern Oregon. Idaho's hated rival Simon Fraser. They got killed by Idaho State early. And then they beat Southern Utah, Idaho, Northern Colorado, and then, then lost four in a row. So if, if I'm going to for me to buy into the hype of – sorry, not hype. For me to buy into Portland State as a turnaround team, again, I'm, we're just going to have to see something because what we saw at, to close out last year was, yeah, if the team's tied for last place, Portland State's competitive. But if it's anyone else, it's a loss. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. Um, one of you guys mentioned how Portland State's always 25% less than what you think they're going to be. I think that's the definitive dynamic of both Sac State and Portland State because that's the vibe you're always going to get from coaches around the league because they are the most talented teams. They have the access to the most metropolitan players and the transfers. They have the lower standards for admission, all these things. They have they have advantages that a lot of people don't have. Uh, but that's that's the essence of football, right? That's what coming together as a team is all about. That's why just having all the – the best transfers or the best talent uh, doesn't really matter. Secondly, quick story about Simon Frazier because you mentioned Simon Frazier. My first gig out of college, working the Ellensburg Daily Record, covering Central Washington University, Bo Baldwin, and then into uh, Blaine Bennett. They recruited like 40 FBS drop downs to come in there. And then Baldwin took the uh, Eastern Washington job, and then Bennett had the Central job. Simon Fraser joined the Great Northwest Athletic Conference. It, at that time, it was home and homes in the GNAC. So Central Washington had to plan to go to Burnaby, uh, Vancouver. They brought in all these dudes, 40 FBS draft outs between two recruiting classes, most of which that had criminal records. Blaine Bennett had to go hire a separate director of operations to make sure everybody's paperwork and passports were correct so they could get over the border to go play this first game in Canada because they were so worried about what was oh going to happen. So it, it, was, it was one of the great D2 stories I've ever heard. That stuff doesn't happen in Division One because you can't get that those kind of guys in. But that was such a Washington in a nutshell. Yeah. Uh, so I think we've, we've wrapped uh, Portland State up at number 11 pretty dang well. Uh, I believe it is back to my pick. And this was, I swear, totally unplanned that I would be picking at 10. Because I have, if you thought Portland State was controversial at 11, uh, I have zero faith in Sacramento State University. I have Sac State. Wow. I think that was very much flash in the pan. I think they benefited a lot from Kevin Thompson and people not seeing Troy Taylor. I, ju- I, I The thing that makes it worse is they have the second easiest schedule in the entire conference, and I get that. Yes, I just – I'm, I'm just not a buyer in Sac State. I mean, 
guys, tell me why I'm wrong. I, 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 I can't tell you other than I just think they're that team that caught lightning in a bottle in 2019. I'm not saying they're going in the wrong direction. I just think it's kind of a step forward to more of a natural progression to where they should have been um, going into this year to then where they ended up. And I know, and I get in 2019, they beat a lot of really good teams. It's not like they had a cakewalk schedule back then. I just think, I don't know. I It's a gut feeling. I I understood when I posted my poll that that was one that people were going to shake their head at because most people have them top five at, or top six at least, some top five, four, possibly even higher. I think they had a couple first place votes. So um, tell me why I'm wrong. I give you I give you two quick hitters before I let give it to Brian. Then you get back to the roster analysis. I think the the most untold story about Sacramento State is the fact that two of the best coaches in the Big Sky Conference are on Troy Taylor's staff. Paul Wolf is who built Eastern Washington. He set the foundation of what they became. I know his his reputation was sort of muddied because Washington State was such a disaster. But he is absolutely one of the best offensive line minds in the West, and he is definitely one of the best Big Sky Conference coaches, uh, position coaches for sure. And Andy Thompson is one of the smartest and most veteran defensive coordinators in the league. So I think that people forget that beyond – it's easy to assume Troy Taylor was a flash in the pan, and I, and I, I, I buy that to a certain extent because it really he really does have to prove it. But he has two guys supporting him that are pretty damn good. Yeah. Well, Paul Wolf, he's at Cal Poly this year, isn't he? That's right. He did. He did move over to Cal Poly. That's right. And there was a great story uh, on one of the various national websites. I can't I remember think it's which. ESPN. Yeah. 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 It, about Paul Wolf's long lost mother. Like what a yeah. what a what a mind blowing tale that was. Yeah, that was. A, I'll put a link to it in the description. That was a uh, one. Yeah, I just kept scrolling. I'm like, this thing keeps going, but I'm still interested. So uh, I recommend a read for everybody. I'll have it down in the description. Sure. But yeah, Paul Wolf. But gone, and it's not so much not a disbelief in Troy Taylor. I think a lot of it was just Kevin Thompson accelerating the process and people not knowing what to expect from Troy Taylor as a head coach. I mean, we kind of laugh when we were at Media Days in 2019. You know, it was Brian and I's first time. We're not traditional media media folk. Like, it was our first time in a media day. Uh, when we walked in, Troy Taylor, like, nobody was sitting there. So we started with Troy Taylor because, like, nobody wanted to interview him. So – we got a little bit of a soft spot for Troy Taylor. He was our first uh, coach interview, but I mean, Brian, I mean, do you think I'm totally off on this? Or? So, what, I mean, I do, but what I'm if I in buying into the line of Sac State finishing lower, we we already talked about two big losses. Sac State has to replace Kevin Thompson, Paul Wolf as a coach. They also lost one of the best defensive players in the league in George Obina, um, and Sacramento State. I mean, they were obviously offensively they're fun. They didn't beat Montana, Montana State, and Eastern Washington consecutively just because of that offense. They were able to get to guys like Dalton Sneed uh, about as well as anyone else in the league could. So, and you know, when Idaho saw Sacramento State, our total yardage at the end of the first half was as bad as it was in our first half against Penn State, uh, 2019. So, I mean, that it wasn't just that Sac State was scoring. It's during the regular season. Of course, it didn't work in the playoffs, but in regular season. They were, they were dominating both sides of the line. Um, so how, is Sac State going to be able to have that level of you know, defensive footprint this season? To me, that's kind of a bigger deal because as far as replacing Kevin Thompson, I'm not actually that worried about Sac State. Every Eastern fan will tell you 
Gage, a huge part of Gage Goober's success was work at Eastern Washington prior to Eric Berrier taking over was his time spent with Troy Taylor. So I, I have faith in the guy to develop another quarterback offensively. I also think Sac State might be a kind of team that benefited from not playing in the spring and just having more time to sort their position out without having to produce on the field. But if Sac State's going to be as good as they were close to that this season, which a lot of people are expecting, they'll probably be like, you know, polls say that show about 90% of what they were the last, uh, last season, 2019. They're going to have to be equally as strong on the defensive side of the ball. That's where I'm not sure if they have it. Yeah. And the, I, see, I agree with you too. Like the defense is slightly lacking. I do have a belief in the offense and look, even if quarterbacks not figured out, they have Elijah Dotson who could be the best running back in the entire conference. So like, I, I get there's that too. Like you don't necessarily need the quarterback there, but like Montana state is such a freak example of like not having a quarterback and being able to be successful in the big sky. I just, they're going to have to have a quarterback, I think to get out of 10 and, I just need to see it first. I mean, I accept that I could be a hundred percent way off on this, and who knows, Sac State wins the conference again, and it high, totally possible. But any closing points on Sac State before we pass to the Coulter for number nine? Well, what well, if Coulter is going to close out Sac State? Well, what yeah, what what, what if what if quarterback is no longer the essential position in the Big Sky Conference? You think we're transitioning away from being a uh, aired out? I mean, we, we, were state, we were states the four-time defending league champions. That's true. With How's the, their quarterback play been going? Montana State's made the playoffs two years in a row. That's play, yeah. play linebacker quarterback. <laughs> Dalton Steed was honorable mention all league one time. Montana made the playoffs. Like how true. how many times did Case Cookus make the playoffs? One. True. I mean, it's a good point. You know? Jacob Nip. Yeah. So, well, it's it's more that I. I'm just not concerned about Sac State having at least a serviceable quarterback where the quarterback's yeah. not losing games for them. I, I think the, the question for them is, is there any world where they Kevin can – Thompson. Yeah, well, yeah, is there any world where they can dominate at the line like they did? It, look, Dalton Sneed looked pretty bad. Well, he got hurt against Mon, against Sac State in 2019, but Dalton Sneed did not look great against Sac State. Uh, Eric Berrier got hurt against Sac State. That, that team – that. The way that team could get to quarterback last year and kind of dominate on the line, I think that's kind of an undervalued part of that success. And no question, you know, losing an NFL caliber guy on the line, um, I don't know how they replace him. I mean, maybe they have someone I haven't seen. Yeah, they always have dudes. I think they have a good coaching staff. I think they have a sense of belief. That that's the whole thing. Is that I think this is the most beautiful part about football. So we can talk about personnel and scheme and all that stuff, but truly the identity, reputation, and belief within your program is the thing that defines if you can win or not at this level. That's why it's beautiful. And Northern Colorado, Sacramento State, and Portland State have all always had talent. Always. Always top, top half of the league talent. But the thing that makes you win is what is it all about? Does it mean something to you? Do you want to quit playing the second half of the season or not? That's why the schools that are in the rural areas with the great fan bases like Idaho, Montana, Montana State, Eastern Washington, that's why those are the teams that have won. It's not because of a talent thing. And yeah. so uh, Sac State will have the talent. Do they still have the sense of belief? I honestly th- – here's my last thought on Sac State. I think the fact that they had the greatest season in their school's history, made the playoffs for the first time, won the Big Sky Conference for the first time, 
the slew of awards comes down. Kevin Thompson's a finalist for the Walter Payton. Uh, Troy Taylor wins the Eddie Robinson. Everybody's talking about Sac State. And then they get a bye, and they get whipped at home by Austin P. I think it's the greatest thing that could have ever happened to their program because I think it will absolutely motivate them. I think that the fact that they have multiple coaches that have experience in this league, I think it will motivate them, and I think that their talent level has always been good. So I, I expect that combined with the fact they have an easy schedule, I expect Sac State to be in the mix for sure. See, and this is why we do the snake draft is yep. so that uh, people like me have to make the case that I, I is I, this isn't what I would have put it, but I mean that's a re- there's real questions around Sac State finishing well in the conference. We'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, Coulter, you've got the next draft pick. Okay, I'm heading to my big board. Um, I first of all, how fun is this that this league is is what it is, but I also uh, you guys have put Portland State and Sac State so far down the well. I think that the, that the bottom three in this league are definitive. I think we had it, whatever order you want to pick it in, it's 3-2-1-1-2-3, Cal Poly, Northern Colorado, Southern Utah, whatever way you want to splice it. And I think the fact that the three least talented teams and three teams with the biggest question marks, uh, three teams with the biggest uh, intangible factors, because you got Northern Colorado and Cal Quality new head coaches, Southern Utah on their way out of the league. Um, those are the three biggest distractions or the three biggest hurdles, combined with the fact you have less talent, combined with the fact that I think Southern Utah has the third hardest schedule in the league. I got Southern Utah. I would put them down there at 11, uh, but because those two are already stacked there, Southern Utah is there for me at number nine. Yeah, uh, my obvious here is I said it all last year and it's Brian Marceau's favorite takeaway. They were seconds away from being six and zero. I don't know if six and zero. They kind of got beat there by NAU at the end, but for a while there, the whole thing was like there was basically until they played Idaho, and then even Idaho came down to kind of last minute game winning drive. So you were looking at possibly being four and zero with a couple seconds left. They play Weber tight by three. I just I have a little bit of faith in Southern Utah. Um, once again, we're talking about like teams that win a conference and then can kind of drop off. You know, Southern Utah was that team when Demario Warren came in. You know, second season they tied for first, and then they fall down and immediately go from first to twelfth, which is why you know I can justify Sac State getting there. Now I think Southern Utah is a different program, pulling from different talent. And like a school like Sac State is, I think Coulter's right, and it's a little bit of the cultural aspect there. But I think, you know, they've got their quarterback. Uh, he got a lot of reps. Southern Utah is a team I think will actually benefit from playing in the spring. Um, they got to work out some kinks. Now, it only got to them getting a win, but let's not forget that win basically like helped solidify Cal Poly deciding they didn't care to play football anymore. So – uh, I have a little bit of faith that Southern Utah can be a little bit better this year, but I honestly, I don't know where I had them picked. I got no problem with them at nine. I think I might have them above Idaho in mine. No, I don't. I have them just below. So yeah, I have them in nine in my poll. So this is spot on what I think of Southern Utah. We're, we're going to be in a run of teams right now where we're going to find out whether the competitive spring season mattered. Um, with the teams we're going to pick after Southern Utah, I guarantee to. Uh, Chris already touched on it. Every single game 
that Southern Utah lost was a one-score game. A lot of those games, like Northern Arizona week one, came down to the final play. Idaho State week two came pre- down pretty close to the final play. 17 seconds, yeah. Yeah. Um, Beat Cal Poly and lose to Idaho with, what was Idaho, like 30 seconds? Yeah, I yes, it was about 30 seconds. I can tell you I've never been this interested in a team coming off of a season with one win. But Cal, but Southern Utah did acquit themselves pretty well in the spring. Uh, Justin Miller, look, I mean, we'll we'll probably talk about this later too about how many new quarterbacks there are in the league. But like Southern Utah, they have a definite upgrade at quarterback over what they had in 2019. Justin Miller's real deal competed completed 65.7 percent of his passes. Uh, doesn't necessarily air it out a ton, but he's accurate. They've got some strong receivers like uh, Landon Meese and Brandon Shanks. Um, the when I interviewed Mario Warren, it's not like I thought the guys wouldn't be confident, but like that's they they essentially had the same takeaway we had, which is last season they were a lot closer to you know being solid than people would have thought heading in. They showed there's about a develop, a, maybe a developmental step they still need. Now, of course, the asterisk that we're going to find out these teams from the spring they're competitive is when you aren't getting killed by Montana, Montana State, or Sac State, uh, maybe it's easier for your games to look closer. I don't know. We're going to find that out with all the teams that are following up. But Southern Utah, they certainly look more talented than what we saw prior. I wouldn't be shocked if this is the kind of team that they're not going to make the playoffs, no question. But they definitely could ruin a shot at a playoff for a team you know, and, and have a surprise win against any of the teams we're going we're gonna to predict to finish at the top of the league. Yeah, and they have the second best eight in the league with the first best name in Laaka Kahano Ohano Davis. So I mean, you, I'm not picking against that guy. So <laughs> nice work, dude. You're hired. That was That's a practice. That's finest. <laughs> I know that they uh, since Demari Warren took over, they've had a little bit of tweak to their defensive scheme, but they're they're running that that Tampa two that Montana State brought to the league, and that if you have elite personnel, if you have an elite pass rusher. You got elite will linebacker, you got elite strong safety, and you got an elite shutdown corner. Well, you got the best defense in the league because you're running a pro scheme. It's all personnel based. And Montana State rode that to three straight conference titles, 2010-2012. So Utah's been running that scheme, and that's where they go from feast to famine. When Ed Lamb's last year, feast. Big side championship 2015. But the year before and the year after, they were dead last in the league in defense because of injuries at the key spots. And, like, when Jalen Russell got hurt in 2019, he's he's their best player. And he's the key to the whole defense because he's the guy that is the island corner that makes that whole scheme go. That's why Southern Utah is always going to be teetering on a thread because they're always going to have a dude at, on the edge. And they're always going to have a dude like the dude whose name you just beautifully pronounced at the inside <laughs> linebacker. They're always going to have a, a stud strong safety. Well, what's the dude like behind those guys? That's the whole yeah. issue because when any of those guys get hurt, and if two of them get hurt, you're in trouble. Three of them, landslide. All of them, bye-bye. You're last in the country in defense. And so it's it's a tough uh, it's tough to mitigate it. Yeah, um, I, no argument for me there. And I, so I, I, I just think that the intangible element of this being their last year in the big sky, they're saying, hey, we're all in. That's their hashtag for the year. We're all in. Well, yeah. It's going to be feast or famine in that element, though, right? Like, if they treat it like they're all in, great. If they don't, it could be a long year for Southern Utah. Yeah. 
Um, I, I'm wrapped up on Southern Utah. I mean, you kind of nailed it. I think literally these next probably three to four are pretty interchangeable. Uh, but Brian Marceau is your pick with the eighth-place finisher in the Big Sky Conference. I feel like a homer picks are coming possibly. Yeah, so I really want to pick Northern Arizona, but I'm not going to for reasons we'll talk about when we get there. It's Idaho time. And the Idaho is similar to Southern Utah in that we're coming off a of spring with only competitive games. We finished two and four. Now, you might say injuries, COVID. Of course, everyone had injuries in COVID. The real the the sticking point that Idaho is going to have is one, we we have a rough schedule. Which, I mean, if we don't pick up early wins in the conference season, it's this team. It's going to be a real question of are they going to are they going to fold? The other issue is everyone thought when uh, the Mason story was over in Idaho, we would turn the corner and start scoring. Uh, in a way that we hadn't prior. And that just was not the case. We Idaho in the spring scored 23 points per game. That is just not going to be enough. And we didn't have to play Montana, Montana State, State or Sac State when we put or up Weber. that 23. So, or yeah, we didn't play Weber either when we scored 23.3. So that 23 points was coming against mostly defenses. They'll probably be bottom half of the league defenses. Yeah. So Eastern, NAU, Southern Utah. Yeah, the, I'm going to stop. We're going to talk about Idaho forever on our when, yeah. on when we do our preview. So I'm going to throw it to I'm going to throw it to Coulter. I have so many questions about Idaho. Is Bodery going to be the quarterback? Or are they, yeah, no. are they going to run the option? They are not going to run the option. I think CJ Jordan is going to be the quarterback. Uh, okay. That is the guy they've talked about. Borish, the option guy, has been taking some quarterback snaps, it looks like, from some photos. Um, but C.J. Jordan's a guy. We saw enough of it against Southern Utah to be like, okay, this is everything we thought he would be, right? Got him due to a freak knee injury late in his high school year. He had offers to Louisville, et cetera. Like, he's a little too good to be at Idaho. Obviously, the injury thing is the issue. I mean, you t- Brian touched on it, like, we played four quarterbacks last year. That's part of the problem. But, but so, I, so, I would so, lean CJ. I want to check you on something. Yeah. Why is he too good to be at Idaho? Because there was a span of time for about, oh, I don't know, 20 years where guys <laughs> that played quarterback at Idaho went to the NFL. Fact. I'd say oh. right now. Uh, yeah, we're not What's Louisville. lost its allure, though? I feel like that should still be the reputation of Idaho. Yeah, you guys I, I, borderline NFL <clears throat> quarterback the last time I was in Moscow in 2016, Matt Linehan. Yeah, it and it could be, you know, and I, I'm hoping it's so. I think it's we've we've uh had three years of iffy quarterback play and it's become easy to accept that. And then to be fair, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong. Even before that, we had Nathan Enderley in 2010 who went to the league and played for draft or got drafted by the Bears sure. and played for the Chargers. Like, yeah, we've had some quarterbacks, but. Didn't a dude that was yeah. at Idaho start for the Jacksonville Jaguars last year? Ah, uh, the former yeah. Idaho. You mean the guy who wasn't good enough to beat out Mason Petrino? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The guy that went to Oregon State and then started for the Jaguars last yeah. year. Yeah, from Marysville, yeah. Washington. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jake Luton. Yeah. Jake Luton. Yeah. So, yeah, we've gotten good. We've had some good quarterbacks. As uh, 
Montana fans will know for if we've dragged any of your listeners over. Uh, Chad, Chad, Cheddar Challenge is like what the all-time oh, yeah. leading yardage record for Montana in a single uh, game or something some, like that. Something like, maybe completions in the game. I think no, some it weird. It was record. touchdowns in the game. I guess. Yeah. That, I guess Idaho. Yep. Yep. I'm a big oh, no, Chad. I guess Idaho fan. State. Excuse me. Yeah. I guess Idaho State. So to to put a really, give a really short answer to the quarterback question, Coulter, based off of, off what we've been told, um, Zach Boris, he's the option guy. He's going to have packages uh, where he's essentially, you know, a changeup to come in for short sure. series or, you know, uh, thir- third and short to go for a couple plays. He's our allegedly, <clears throat> yeah, okay. yeah, uh, and allegedly, I mean, Paul Petrino named Beaudry the the starter in the spring early, and he's not been named the starter for the fall. Interesting. And when we saw CJ Jordan against Southern Utah, he had a couple big plays taken off the board, but he he looked good. As in, like, I'm not saying he's a Vernon Adams level player, but the big sky prototype comp would be good. a Vernon Adams good. type of player. Good. Uh, whether, of course, he has to be able to st- to stay out there. He's had had injury issues in high school. That's ha- part of why he's at Idaho, and he tweaked it, tweaked his leg in the one game he played in the spring too. But at, at this point, I actually buy when Paul Petrino says it's a competition. So here's here's my number one question about Idaho, because when I watch Idaho. I see, like, I watch the whole big sky so much. And there's teams that are sort of need to execute to do well. There's teams that are just disjointed. There's teams that have, like, talent but no identity. When I see Idaho, they pop more than any team in the league besides the big four or five teams in the league, right? And that's what I've thought the last three times. I've seen them four times since they came back to the big sky in person and watched them a lot on the stream or whatever. But it's my take, and I've said this on my ESPN show a lot, that Idaho's issues are way far – the talent is way far down the line for Idaho's issues. Yeah, we're, we've about to have – after Trey Walker, we'll have had three linebackers in a row go to the league between both right. Christian, Caden, and Trey. And then, I mean, a Cano outside shot probably not going to make it, but, like, you had four studs of linebackers. So, I mean, for yeah. Sure. I mean, you're not well, that, wrong. Uh, Jeff Cotton went to the league. Jeff like, Cotton, Noah, talent. The, the the lineman from a couple years ago was good. Noah something. Yep. He was, Noah Johnson. Yeah. Noah Johnson. He was. I mean, he was like borderline league. Like multiple running backs in a row that have gotten shots. Right. Like didn't Penny and Saunders both get shots? Yeah, and Elijah, uh, Elijah Penny's still playing fullback for the Jets. He's got a new con or Giants. He just got a new contract. That's what I'm saying, so. like, talent is not the issue. There is a lot of different issues that are. To me, it's more than anything. It's not even anything nefarious or weird or undefinable. Idaho just doesn't have a place or identity in the league. Like They don't know where they fit in. Because you either got to go all in on being hit you in the mouth, defense, run the ball, Weaver State, Montana State. Bobby Houck, against all odds, is running some. He's going completely against his old reputation, and he's going to score 50 points a game. Well, regardless, but like you have to have an identity. Eastern Washington, they've sort of lost their identity a little bit. I know we're going to get into that in a minute. But Idaho doesn't have one. That, that's why I'm so confused because they could and should be one of the best teams in the league. Well, you actually just nailed it, Coulter, when you talked about Bobby Houck coming back and embracing that yeah. just offensively it has to be different than yeah. what he was used to. 100%. That just hasn't been what we've seen out of Idaho. I mean, 
We talked about this on our show a decent amount. Paul was just way too, and Paul admitted this by the way in media days. He was way too conservative offensively last year. Beaudry had of the of eligible starting quarterbacks lowest average yards per attempt and the lowest lab average yards per completion. But he he's not that accurate a passer. So like he's with the offense they're running, they needed Justin Miller completing two out of every three passes. Yeah. So I mean, my hope, Coulter, is that. Paul watched enough, I don't know, four damn seasons of scoring 20 points a game and we'll put together, yeah, you probably got to score around 30. Yeah, think and, about, think, and we have was, really good running backs, but we kind of insist on throwing the ball a lot. And you mentioned we've had a lot of good dudes. You had Andre Carter there for a bit. He's back. Um, Ty Montgomery, when we first got in the league, we've had running backs. We just like – we go away from the run game really quick when we face the slightest bit of adversity. Well, one last thing too. We led the league in the spring in time of possession and we still scored 23 points a game. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, to put a bow on this, Montana state who has incurred so much quarterback scrutiny and offensive scrutiny during the Jeff Chode era still averaged more than 32 points per game us last season, even though they don't throw the ball. They don't throw the ball. They throw the ball 12 times a game. They still yeah. average 32 points a game. you got to score. Like 23 points per game is unacceptable in college football, let alone the Big State Conference. You're not going to compete if, unless you're scoring 30-plus a game, period. Everybody has to because of the pace of the game. Yep. Agreed. Except Weber somehow. But <laughs> that's we'll get into them. They're, yes, they're a freak show. Uh, but uh, Brian – or no, it's – Back to me, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, I guess here I will go with the Northern Arizona Lumberjacks. I think they deserve the nod over us. They beat us last year, uh, and we're going to have mostly the same teams coming back. So if you were asking me, I'll pick NAU here. I think there's a chance they finish higher. Um, I've actually texted our Big Sky Podcast Network guy, Casey Everett, about this. They've got a shot. They've got a pretty easy schedule. Actually, the third easiest schedule in the entire league. Um, so there's a shot. I think Keandre Woodty takes a step forward. They still have guys on the outside like Brandon Porter, Hendricks Johnson. Uh, they've got – they figured seem to have figured out the running back position. It's just going to be Chris Ball kind of solidifying that defense. Um, and, and they also have Stacey Chukamunzi. Like, they have – Really good wide receivers down there. I just they just seem to not be taking that leap forward. And I get that this is really only you know their two and a half season with uh, Chris Ball, if you want to consider the spring. So like we'll see how things improve. I think this is one that I could look back on and go, ooh, I probably should have put them a little higher. But I think there's just some teams above them that I think overall will have the pieces together a little bit better. But um, I think NAU, if there was a dark horse team. That team that kind of came out of nowhere and pushes my Portland State, as it were, I think it could be NAU. Also, have had really great recruiting classes. They always have great recruiting classes. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Everybody recruits well. These guys have full time jobs. I mean, this is like when you got when you got it's eight, the best quote ever. <laughs> I mean, for real though, like that's what Tim Krams used to always say. Like that guy gets paid a hundred grand too, so I better out scheme him. That's Montana State's former offensive coordinator, by the way. But uh, no, I mean, there's so many good football players, man. There's so many good football players now. But I I have no faith in NAU. 
only because I just don't know what they're all about. I think I think that they are suffering from, and I talk about this on my ESPN show all the time. There is certain schools in the league in certain sports that you are what you are, and you better appreciate what you are, especially when you have coaches that are really good for what you are. And Jerome Sowers, if you analyze NAU through the lens of one of the best teams in the league, was a little bit lackluster in his 22 seasons there at NAU. He made the playoffs four times, and you would want more than that. But he had winning years almost every year, right? And he was he recruited great talent. He had multiple NFL guys. And it's just like Bill Evans at Idaho State basketball. You could say, well, Idaho State finished seventh three years in a row, and the only year they didn't finish seventh. Oh, by the way, they got to buy the Big Sky Tournament and finish fourth. Well, if you're comparing that to Montana or Weber State in men's basketball, yeah, they're not living up to expectations. But it's Idaho State. The expectation is to finish last every year in basketball. It's just like NAU. If you're finishing fourth every year in the Big Sky Conference, you're doing something right. And I just think that they're going to they're gonna regret eventually moving on from Jerome Sowers. And I, just, I, I think that they're okay. I think they're going to be middling – but I just don't think they have the talent that they once had, particularly in certain areas. Woodkey's okay. He's not like some of the quarterbacks they've had in the past. So I don't know. I'm not, I'm I'm out on NAU. I I'm out on NAU in my official poll, where I did not look at the the schedules. I have them second to last. Um, the there it's a really simple take I have. NAU continues under Chris Ball to have just no ability to stop teams from stop other teams from moving the ball. But now they don't have, they don't have case Cookus who's going to, who can, you know, help them hang 40 points or something like that. Keandre Woodsy of the new quarterbacks we saw who don't reside in San Luis Obispo. Woodsy was by far the worst that we saw in spring. Uh, NAU scores right around what Idaho does too. My main takeaway from NAU is I don't, I, I think, now, weirdly, we've talked about quarterback not maybe being overvalued the way people think of, you know, hey, does this team have a new quarterback? How is it going to work? And they use not that case because I, I just don't think they have the arm talent to take advantage of their maybe best in the league wide receivers, which is why, Coulter, i got to throw this question to you because you're here. How much of a bullet did Montana State dodge taking Jeff Choate over Chris Ball? back when Chris Ball was a finalist for Montana State. Man, this is so funny. I think about this stuff all the time, man. Once upon a time, Jerry Kill had an offer to go to Montana State. And I can't even really articulate the full story, but it fell through Rob Ashens about Montana State. You know, like, they all, Montana State almost hired Andy Hill in the middle of the night from Missouri. And then all of a sudden, Jeff Cho gets a job. But it wasn't Chris Ball, but you never know who it could be. Like, there's the way that these things were. I mean, there's a coach in the Big Sky Conference that had a lot of Big Sky Conference championships that's not from the state of Montana, but almost ended up in Montana. That's actually a vague statement because that's true for three different coaches that I just made that statement about. So you don't, you never know how these things work out. I think it's funny, though, when people criticize, like, oh, the AD only got his third choice. Well, the way these things go, if you actually knew how the process worked, it's all just a complete crapshoot. But what Brian has said is so uh, spot on because when you're hiring a coach, you know what his identity is going to be. That's what he sells you during the interview process. The fact that Northern Arizona 
I watched Northern Arizona hold a 31-14 lead in Bozeman late in the third quarter in Chris Ball's first season. And then I remember writing this in my story. Montana State ran the zone read with Travis Johnson and or Kevin Cassis at quarterback 23 consecutive times to come all the way back for a homecoming win without throwing the football in the second half. What else is new with Jeff Choate? But if that's your team's defensive identity and you want your team to be defensive team, you can't do it. Next week, the next week after that, and then you gave up Josh Davis's 300 and whatever it was, 328-yard rushing game. I mean, it was, the, it was one of the five best holes in the history of the league, and Davis rushed for like 250 after halftime. If you're, all I'm saying is if you're a defensive coach, your squad cannot be giving up rushing totals like that in second halves of games. And so regardless of the talent level, again, like these defensive coaches that come in the league, like Ed Lamb, uh, Jay Hill, Jeff Choate, even when their teams were bad at the beginning of their tenure, they've never given up 350 yards a game on the ground. So that's why I have such question marks about NAU. Really, the saving grace for me for Northern Arizona is they do have they do have a, a favorable schedule compared to you know Northern Colorado compared to Idaho, where in you know NAU has uh, two FCS out of conference games. Um, although Sam Houston might not be a great out of conference team to, to hang out to spend time with, but they start out the season at, at Northern Colorado, Idaho State, Southern Utah. So if NAU is okay. They should be two and one after the first three weeks conference play. I I don't expect they will be, and not not to dominate the conversation. That puts me as the next pick, right, Chris? Correct. Okay, number six. Oh, no way, no, it's Coulter. I oh man, sorry, Coulter. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys' format is awesome. I love it because it uh, <laughs> makes it gets you off the hook, but also. Uh, I, I can't believe the order that we're going in because, uh, <laughs> I mean, okay, so here. It always the, ends up weird. Like you look at it and go, how did we stumble upon this? It's yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> well, so here's the thing. I'm recording this podcast in my house in Missoula, Montana, and uh, my new roommate slash associate at Skyline Sports as well as ESPN Missoula, Andrew Houghton, uh, he used to cover Idaho State for the Idaho State Journal. He's now living with me, so he's sitting downstairs in the basement uh, writing a, a Grizz story right now as it is. And uh, so I've learned more about Idaho State than anybody in the league with the exception of the schools in Montana and then Eastern Washington just because of a couple of affiliations over there. I guess the point is, though, I might have a proximity bias, but I think Idaho State's pretty good. I also have no real knowledge of UC Davis. And that's for no other reason than uh, lack of engagement. Uh, I, I think that Hawk is gr- doing a good job. But I think that the biggest assistant loss in the Big Sky Conference is Tim Plow, the offensive coordinator from UC Davis, going to – We don't want to talk uh, about that. Boise State. <laughs> yeah, right? I bet you guys don't. Um, but objectively, I know more about Idaho State than UC Davis, so I'm going to pick UC Davis right here even though I don't really actually know if I think that UC Davis is worse, quote-unquote, than, uh, than Idaho State. So I'm taking, I'm taking Davis here only because of my uh, lack of real internal knowledge of that, uh, what they got going on right now. I, I don't hate it. Uh, I kind of agree with you. I'm 
there's something about Idaho State this year that's got me thinking maybe something happens. UC Davis, I will admit, I also do have higher, but, like, I can't argue with it here. Um, yeah, they look good in the spring, but at times they also, like, looked like they couldn't get out of their own way in the spring. And, sure, they finished high enough to where they probably would have got one of those playoff spots from the Missouri Valley, but then they didn't want the playoff spot. And I, I don't know what's going on with them. Like, it's it's totally possible that at six they stay out of the top five and miss the playoffs again. I, I agree with you. I think Dan Hawkins – Probably one of the better coaches in the conference. I think he's, I mean, you just look at what he's done with UC Davis. Talk about a team that used to always be considered, you know, like a Northern Colorado type. They were kind of always down there towards the bottom. I know they had a, some seasons when they're in the Big West and stuff where they were good, but like in the Big Sky, they hadn't really put their foot down until Hawkins got there. And in that case, it happened in like pretty dang quickly. I mean, from eighth to first, like I just, I don't know. We we don't we just don't know a lot. They've got really good tight ends. Uh, obviously, they got Alonzo Gilliam. It's all possible. They've got some decent on both lines. Um, the defense is pretty good, but everything's just kind of pretty good. I mean, other than Alonzo Gilliam, I feel like they're lacking a standout like uh, a Keelan Doss from a couple of years ago or. Um, uh, God, now I can't believe I already forgot his name, but the quarterback they had when they went on their run. Um, it's just Jake I, Yeah, Jake Mayer, Mayer Meyer. Uh, I think they're just like, they're kind of there, but I think the spring was just like they're stuck in neutral. And I don't know if they're going to get out of neutral this fall. So I, I'm totally actually six with UC Davis, other than Southern Utah at nine, I'm like the most comfortable with. Yeah, UC Davis was pretty conservative offensively during the spring. They finished three and two, didn't close out the season. When I interviewed Dan Hawkins, he said that UC Davis had a playoff spot and they chose to not accept it. Now, I did ask the follow-up question when he said they made the playoffs, they just didn't go. I said, okay, so you're saying you guys officially had an invite, you chose to not take it. He did the like half-ass answer of, we would have been in the playoffs. <laughs> and I got bored and moved on. But... Um, Hunter Rodriguez, another new quarterback. Uh, he looked good against Idaho, but was really just okay the rest of the season. Averaged 186 yards per game, which is a bit of a surprise based off what we'd seen last few years out of UC Davis. I guess I don't know whether I'm overvaluing how tight they played at Weber State when I, in my head, I think they should be higher. Because if that really was a fluke and Weber State played essentially close games, then, you know, right around middle of the conference, I don't think they're bad. Um, I don't think Dan Hawkins is going to finish, you know, he's going to have a team that's going to finish sub 500 again. Uh, and when they finished sub 500 2019, it was off like one of the roughest schedules in the entire nation. But I, I, I guess I'm with everyone else on being kind of lukewarm. They're, yeah. they're absolutely not bad at all. They definitely look solid against Idaho, um, although Idaho had a ton of guys out for COVID. But like I'm not I, I when Dan Hawkins said they were a playoff team, if even if I accept that and say, okay, fringe playoff team this spring, I, I, I wouldn't bracket them as a fringe playoff team right now. Yep. And I they have the sixth toughest strength or sixth easiest strength of schedule this year too. So I mean tied, but like cool. I mean, there you are right there, right? It's it seems very fitting to have them at six. Coulter, what's kind of your take on it? Is it, it, it do we smash everything you're thinking?
Well, I mean, we can also – what, it's my pick next or is it yours? So that, that's mine, and there's only one pick next. It has to be Idaho State. Like, there's there's just no way we can throw Idaho State in the top. has to be. Oh, first of all, timeout. Let's look at the schedule. Does Idaho State and Portland State play this year? They, uh, they do. Idaho State 16th. plays at yep. Portland State. Yep, October 16th. Man, I mean – one of my college boys is Mike Ferger, offensive coordinator <laughs> at Idaho State. But Portland State is going to beat Idaho State in Portland that weekend. I can't believe we have Portland State way down there and Idaho State way up here. Idaho State <laughs> has a chance to be improved, but Idaho State has eight seniors, man. There's, like, teams in the league that have, like, 150 seniors. <laughs> I just think Idaho State's young. I think they're making progress, but I just – I don't know. I think that uh, – I get sort of the hype of Idaho State because they were close in some games in the spring. Tyler Vanderwall is good. I think that as much as I was just pressing you guys as far as Idaho making this next step in the big sky, I still think that the fact of the matter is that the big sky is always on the pendulum, but it's back to being a defensive league. The three best teams in the league win with defense, not quarterback play. And Idaho State can't play defense. Until they prove yeah. it otherwise, they can't play defense. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that uh, I think that Idaho State and Portland State have similar personnel challenges defensively. I think that Portland State runs a defensive scheme that mitigates those personnel challenges. I think that's what you got to do sometimes. And so I don't know. This this draft is fascinating because uh, I think we got a lot of people upside down. There's some teams that I think will be better than some teams that haven't even been named yet. Yeah. That's why it's great. And then you got possible deniability of like, oh, that's not my fault. <laughs> to be clear, absolutely no one is actually co-signing Idaho State at five. This just happened to be where the snake draft said they had to go. The, the draft gods have said, okay, if we're going to talk about if – if I'm going to draft Portland State early, someone else is going to happen to rise. Why Idaho State could be okay. Rob Fennessy, I remember laughing. I, Andrew Houghton might have been the person who told me this heading into spring that uh, – he believed Idaho that Rob Fennessy thought Idaho State was a quarterback away in 2019 from being solid. Idaho State was one of the many teams tied for last place. They won two ba- two games early in 2019, then just got blitzed the rest of the season. While Matt Struck became famous for throwing touchdowns to the wrong team, I again, I laughed when I heard that that's what Idaho State thought they were was just a quarterback away, but. God say, uh, Vanderwall looks for real. Um, as he in, does, he looks like he's exactly the kind of quarterback that Rob Fennessy wants. And Ferrer too, man. I, Fer- I, I know Ferrer well, and Ferrer loves guys that are gunslingers. Like that seventeen to ten uh, touchdown to pick in, uh, ratio for Vanderwall. Ferrer looks at that as like, yep, progress because he wants his guys taking risks. He wants to take. He wants to take shots. So I've got, I've got a good question for kind of Coulter on this. I mean, you know, Ferder, you also probably had a little bit of interaction with their new defensive line coach, Byron Houch. Oh, yeah. Uh, since he was at yeah. Montana State. Can that – can he bring a little bit of choke, you know, that mm. energy to their mm. defense? Man, if you were to actually, like, analyze uh, top storylines from the ramifications of choke leaving, that's one of them for sure because – how to establish a reputation as one of the better position coaches in the league because he had a stacked D-line for three years. But how much of that was his development of those guys, including some, like, in-state Montana guys, and how much of it was 
the fact that Choate gifted him with one, two, three Washington drop downs that were, you know, complete physical freaks for the Big Sky Conference. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, how was certainly Choate's protege? I mean, Choate's coached Dante Fowler and Vita Van and Greg Jenkins and guys that were first or second round draft picks. So Choate is one of the great defensive line coaches in the, in the country, honestly, uh, in the last couple of years. So he was definitely mentoring how, but can't help carry that over and how much of how it's good coach. Exactly. Yeah. And also how much of how, how it's good coaching was like, I mean, I don't know how, how it's a good coach. He works with guys big time for sure. But like Bryce Dirk, me and you can coach Bryce Dirk to be good. <laughs> he got him to be great. So he's a good coach for sure. Yeah. But like, I mean, six four two sixty runs four five. It's like, it's a pretty good start. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Having the former Washington guy, a couple of Washington starters, it's a it's a good start if you're a position coach. Yeah, and what you would look at too for for the spring and the Idaho State's the last team we're going to say they played a ton of close games in the spring. Did <laughs> the like growth was right this growth that's going <laughs> right. to matter? The growth right. is on spring is not going to matter. Idaho State looked pretty damn good. They should beat Eastern Washington. They absolutely should have won that game, and they. Quite easily could have beat Weber State to close out the season. They didn't, though. So that's why they, they finished at two and four. Offensively, they, they also have you know, Tanner Connor is one of the best receivers in the league. And Idaho State on is the pretty freaks ex- list. You guys see that? He's, yeah. Bruce Feldman's freaks list. Yeah. Well, hey, who, who tagged this game upstairs? Andrew's on the, uh, in, the kitchen, in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Speaking but, uh, of uh, right when we're talking about Idaho State, yeah, sorry. Exactly. Speaking of Tanner Connor and, and Idaho State, yeah, no, Bruce Feldman's freaks list though. That's one of my favorite things every year, and a guy from the Big Sky's on it. That's pretty cool. I, I will also say, of all the coaches outside of Idaho, because you know, I want Idaho to win. I really would like Rob Fennessy to be successful at Idaho State as he <laughs> pick up some winning seasons. We was he's calling, like we call him the poor man's Rob Akey. I mean, exactly. he's basically. Rob Akey at Idaho State. And it's like, it's hard not to root for the guy. It's like the energy, he's upbeat, he's funny. I don't know. I love fantasy, man. <laughs> he's a huge Kings Bud supporter. This is a fan podcast, so I can ask this. Who do you guys root against then? You talking like coach wise? Yeah. Of course, Darth Vader, Bobby Houck. Yeah, he right? makes it kind of well, easy. That's, I mean, he, that's what he wants from you. He, that's what yeah. he says. I don't that from you. And well, I'm a Montana that, fan. I don't mind it. And, like, I don't know. We saw him at UNLV, you know, well, not, you know, playing him, but it's like, I don't sure. know. I, being in the FBS for a minute, I was like, ah, I, 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 we kind of missed the Hauk days. Like, the rest sure. of the big, the big sky. I mean, I know he beat us, though, too, while we were FCS, FBS, but. Sure. I don't know. I missed like the run of dominance of Hauk, so I know oh, I've yeah. noticed we're a little less uh, animosity towards him than most. But that's good. It's because you guys get it. That's what he, you get. I, it. That's the whole shtick. Well, yeah. I grew up in a Montana household too, right? So like, I was right. going to Montana games during the sure. first Bobby Hauk run. So like I've just always known he's a tool. You like if you can't <laughs> handle that, he's probably there's no prayer that you actually like the guy. Then. That's a new problem. And we talk, but, well, right. the, biggest, the biggest loss of the big sky with Choate leaving is like those two's like oh. interactions. Like we talk about yes. like media days in 2020 when like it was all virtual and it's like Hauk's at the lake cabin and then like <laughs> Choate had the camera down below and he was like flexing the whole time with the trophy right next to him. And you're like, 
these guys are just like flexing on each other, even in like Zoom media days. Oh, like, oh, oh. They're you, fantastic. Guys, you guys don't even know, dude. They broke my whole business model. My whole plan was to pit these two guys against each other for the rest of the time, and then Chode had to go to Texas. Such a bummer. <laughs> well, I mean, Coulter, maybe you can comment on this. It's not every day you're offered a co-coordinator position. <laughs> I mean, to the tune of the money he's got, though. I don't yeah, know in the SEC, no nonetheless. So. Yeah, the- we're we're going to get to Montana State, but I will tell you this. Yeah. The number one factor was you make Jeff Choate sit around without coaching a football game for 18 months. doesn't matter. Yeah. Point blank, period. Circumstances aside, he's on the move. You give yeah. him that much time to think, he's got a new plan because yeah. that's what he does. He's got a new but plan. Answer your question real quick. I root against Bruce Barnum. Woo! That's a hot take. <laughs> yeah. Barney, I, dude. Doc's pretzels. I don't mind Barney. I, there's nobody in the big sky I really root against. Uh, Chris Peterson, that's still like, – he's gone. Still root against him, like, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that'd be mine. I wasn't a big Brian Harson guy either. I just stick to hating mm. Boise State coaches, I guess. She makes there it easy go. to play them. Uh, Brian, what is it? We got real off four. there. You got number four. <laughs> oh, dude. Now, th- this to me is kind of where it gets fun. And I'm going to say – so I, I'm going to put Eastern Washington at number four. And Eastern Washington to me is – they've just settled into this level to me in the Aaron Best era of – they have way too much talent for the bottom half of the conference to come close to hanging with them, but they are not physical enough to pick up wins against Montana, Montana state, Weber state, or Sacramento. I'm going to say Sacramento state at this point too. So I think they're going to land in that fringe playoff uh, area. Eric Berry is fantastic. Eric Berry has been fantastic for so long. It's almost boring uh, to think, well, like, duh, he's the best quarterback in the league and it's probably not close. But I just, I think there's way too much talent for Eastern to not finish at least competing for a playoff spot. But I, in the spring, I don't think we saw anything to tell you that they have gotten over that problem of struggling with physical teams. Exhibit A, Idaho gives Eastern problems because Idaho's physical. Yeah. There's, Idaho has underperformed relative to what we everyone should expect of them. But for the last three times, Eastern has absolutely struggled hanging with Idaho because of that physicality. I don't think they've changed. I just don't, I don't think they've moved past just being that area where they're going to kill okay to bad teams, but then they're going to look not very good against tough teams. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I have with this is Eric Berrier, but at Coulter's, Brought it up a couple times here on the show now, and I'm kind of like, well, maybe this is not a quarterback league anymore. I mean, it doesn't hurt that Walter Payton finalist and everything, but I'm just a little hesitant to like write off Eastern yet. I I've been on the record. I think we're about to really learn about Aaron Bass when Barry is gone. Um, this year, I think it's just kind of another. Uh, they should be all right. I think they'll finish top three in the Big Sky, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, you're right, and especially when you've got a quarterback like Eric Berrier throwing to guys who eat popcorn before every single game and could, as a single person, have more drops than an entire team sometimes. Like, maybe they don't finish as high this year. And I know they've got some defensive pieces coming back, but they've also lost some defensive pieces. And Ty Graham's coming back off of injury. Like, he's good, but how good is he after, like, 
injury after sitting out. And I mean, there's a, there's a good amount of question marks, but they also have some decent offensive line play. So like if you pair that with a quarterback, I, I don't know. We'll see. But like, I mean, you mentioned, I guess decent offensive line play, unless you're playing a physical team. Cause anytime they play anybody physical, they seem to really struggle. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a coach's league first and foremost. And I think that's like, and I like Aaron best. I, I, I interact well with him, but I think that's the biggest question mark for Eastern. If they're going to get back to where they were, the teams with the, I mean, we, we've talked about it throughout the whole podcast. Almost every team in the league has talent. It's a matter of how they use the talent. It's a matter of their sense of belief. It's a matter of their systems. More than anything, it's just a matter of do they want to be playing? Do they have a, a collective sense that they can be good? That's what mm-hmm. Bobby Houck does so well at Montana is instill the belief that you are good. Like Personnel-wise, is Montana actually across the board uh, significantly better than everybody in the league? I would argue not. I would just argue that they have so many guys that are bought into the similar narrative. Uh, but I just think that that's the thing that's sort of absent from Eastern Washington. You mentioned the fact, though, the – this sort of brewing narrative, it's not a quarterback league anymore. The ebbs and flows of leagues and the ebbs and flows of the FCS are what's so fascinating. I mean, the Big Sky Conference was such a breakneck pace offensive league for the first, whatever, uh, 15 to 20 years of, of 1AA football from the early Idaho and Idaho State days to then the Boise State National Championship, Montana State throwing the ball everywhere, winning a national championship. Boise State playing for it in Pokey Allen's last year in the Big Sky. Then Montana winning it in 95. The league was a breakneck league. The identity of the league changed when Bobby Howe took over at Montana because he made Montana into a, a bruising, run-heavy team. And then some teams tried to copy that. Weaver State tried to copy it in the Ron McBride era. And then some teams tried to go the opposite way, which is why we Eastern Washington then made the pendulum swing the other side. Well, the teams that chased Eastern – like Montana State, Portland State, those teams couldn't keep up and they just went to dust. And now that we've seen the pendulum swing back on the other side with it being a defensive league again. Well, why is that, though? Because who's winning a national championship? North Dakota State. What's the most defining factors in winning a national championship? Offensive and defensive lines. You can have all the receivers in the world you want. But you just have to wonder if – Youngstown State wouldn't have caught a two-point conversion behind their back on a snowy day in Cheney in 2016. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like That 2016 Eastern Washington team is the team that was supposed to derail North Dakota State. And if that happens, then what's the trend of the league for the last five years? Are people trying to copy Eastern instead of trying to copy North Dakota State? That's been Montana State's biggest problem the last several years. They replicated the North Dakota State model as well as anybody in the Big Sky has, except for then they played North Dakota State twice, and they realized how far they're behind, 49-14 and 42-14. That's how far they are behind, Yeah, playing the same style. So it's just interesting the way that the trends work. But uh, I totally agree with you guys' assertion. I actually had Eastern Washington sixth in my preseason poll. I think Barrier is good. Um, I just think that they are good across the board, but not elite across the board. I mean, they used to have yeah. four to five NFL guys on every squad, and I think that they have good big sky players now, but not not NFL, not NFL guys. So uh, here's my bold prediction. I think Portland State, Eastern Washington, final game of the season is going to be for a winning record for wow. both teams. Wow. 
I I mean, I'm here for it. Why not? Keep it interesting. Um, It'll be the first damn cup game that mattered. Yeah. Well, <laughs> did, didn't for a while Portland State actually give them a couple pushes? Like, I thought for a while that was like State, a Portland closer State game. Easter. Portland State beat Eastern in 2015 to keep Eastern out of the playoffs and to clinch the second playoff berth ever in Portland State history and a playoff seed. So that was a pretty good one. That was the uh, year they Portland beat the State, Cougs, right? Pop, Portland State knocked Eastern out of the playoffs. It was either 2017 or 2019, too, with a win in the Dan Cup. So it's mattered before. Yeah. But, all right, uh, so it is uh, my pick now at number three. I'm going to take the Bobcats. Uh Top three, I think uh, most Montana State fans can't be too upset about this placement. I mean, you lost your head coach. You haven't played in 18 months, um, which probably has benefited you because it looks like, I mean, Coulter will have a little bit more on this. I believe Matt McKay is the guy. Tucker Rovig and um, Bauman are kind of just like, all right, in, in the weems, need a little bit more seasoning. It seems like he's the guy. You've got Troy Anderson back, supposedly healthy, actually playing defense. Um I just think Montana State, for me, it's hard to have them at three, just not knowing everything. I kind of want to see stuff, but, like, the pieces are there. I mean, that's that's obvious. Like, the, they've been good. They've been going to the playoffs. They've been pushing for conference titles. Like we said, had they not ran into North Dakota State the last two years they were in the playoffs, like, they probably would have got gone further, maybe, you know, maybe made a final if they're on the other side of the bracket. But I just uh, – I, I, I mean, I have no complaint at three either. It, they've got all the pieces. They're a tough team. It's a tough place to play, especially as the season goes on and it gets colder and, you know, you got teams that aren't used to it. I mean, totally, like, could easily finish three. I, I feel confident about this pick as well. So tell me this. I'm going to ask you guys just an open-ended question. Yeah. Montana State behind Montana, Why? Uh, for me, coaching. <laughs> I the trust how to get yeah, a team. It's an adequate point. And I haven't seen vegan yet. You know, like not like Wyoming was knocking socks off people while he was there. And I get North Dakota State, but who hasn't lost at North Dakota State the last couple of years? So, not saying vegan won't work. I just, uh, if you're asking me right now, like we're going to Vegas right now, and you got to pick one of these two, I'm going to take Bobby Hauk over a coach I haven't seen ever be a head coach. And I, I I picked Montana over Montana State too. I expect there's going to be just a little bit of um, let's say smoothing out, Brent. That I, I actually don't doubt Brent Vegan's going to be fine. But one, I mean, maybe Coulter, you have different experience with him. Brent Vegan, I mean, like energetically or based off his disposition, is certainly not Jeff Cho. Um, and certainly. I know I know that uh, his as I understand, you know, his main goal in the offseason was to not have a Shantae Leggins situation where the entire roster flees. Not that that was really a question because it's in a, it, different institutional issues. But he, you know, I mean, Montana State kept the core of their roster. He wants their offense to be a bit more balanced, although, I mean, Jeff Choate probably wanted their offense to be a little more balanced than it was. Um, I, I just expect it's going to, if Brent Vegan, even if Brent Vegan's good, I think we're going to have about a year learning curve where Montana State was really good last season, or 2019. Finishing top three in this conference is a very good finish. So I, 
yeah, it's it's more than it's trend. It's the fact of a transitional year just creates extra variables that have to break your way. And I mean, never mind several discussion about Bobby Howe being you know one of the best big sky coaches of all time. Yeah, and and God, the only thing that's difficult is man, they're their away schedule does them absolutely no favors. I mean, we're looking at it here at Portland State, who, as we've said on this show, depending on who you're talking to, top tier of the big sky. Uh, either way, that's their easiest game. They've got Weber State in Ogden. They've got Eastern Washington and Cheney. I have no idea the last time they won in Cheney. And then they close the year at Wagriz in you. Bet your ass the Grizzlies are tired of hearing about the streak and have a little confidence of like, well, Choate's gone. You know, maybe that like monkey off our back isn't in our heads anymore. Like, I just think, man, that's, I just, that away schedule is going to be so brutal. It's going to be hard for them to place well in the big. Well, sky. And I forgot to bring up the other key factor, guys. How is the, how is Montana State emotionally going to recover from losing that protected rivalry against Northern Colorado? Uh, poorly, I'm sure they're gonna really miss playing the Bears down in the new turf. Oh, especially now that there's turf, you know. I think they they were really looking forward to that, but I don't know. I Montana State has all the capabilities to win, but I mean that road schedule is absolutely brutal. I mean, I guess as a season ticket holder, you got Northern Colorado, Cal Poly, Idaho State, and Idaho at home. You should sweep that nice and sweet for a you know nice little home victory party. But do you really get up for any of those games? I mean, maybe Idaho, Idaho State. I don't know. Like you said, heated rivalry with Northern Colorado there. Cal Poly, maybe because Bo Baldwin's coming back. I just who knows? Maybe their home like stadium might not even have a bit of that advantage this year because it might be hard to get some people into that home schedule. So and other really quick read if with how their season splits, they four and at home is quite feasible. Then if they can go two and two on the road, you're six and two. You think they're gonna go two and two on the road? I mean I'm not concerned about Portland State. That just that means that a when they play at Weber, at Eastern, or at Montana, those are three good teams. They need to go one and two. So maybe against beat Eastern. Teams. Yeah, sure. I mean, hell, Idaho State almost beat Weber State. True, and I guess you know until they lose to Montana, I guess they're going to be like, "What makes you think we're going to lose to Montana?" So I guess sure, yeah. I mean, there's a chance. Obviously, they could win their whole thing too. Like, I just man, that's tough. And then you look at the teams we have above them. I mean, Weber's mm-hmm. schedule is like just give them the. Tie at least a tie for the title now, and but Montana's also, gonna state Montana State's gonna have to earn it. If they tie for first, they are the team who earned it for sure. We've also filibustered culture enough, but last one second point Isaiah Fonze having time off to get healthy will matter. There's a couple tried and true factors in, in determining the best players and the best teams in the league. Um, I think that. Obviously, the unbalanced schedule breaking down who's going to win where. I totally agree. Montana. I think Montana State has a top four toughest schedule in the league. Road games at the three other best teams, in my opinion, at Eastern, at Weaver, at Montana. Um, but I think that Montana State has among the most talented rosters in the league. But the two pieces of league championship formulas that I've always – rested upon, or I guess the three part, the three pieces are, how's your fronts? 
Well, I think Montana State has the best offensive front and the best defensive front seven in the league. So that gives them a huge advantage. Uh, do you have elite players to other positions? Yes, I think Montana State has the most talented player in the conference in Troy Anderson. I think they have one of the three best running backs in the league, Isaiah Fonse. I think, and then my third barometer is how many first-team all-league slash all-American players do you have? I think you need to have ten to be to be like in the mix, guys that can be in consideration. You're not going to obviously get ten guys first-team all-league unless you're, you know, have a transcendent season. But you need ten guys that are in the mix as first-team all-conference type players. And I think Montana State has seven right now, so I think that they're right there. I think all the questions about this team reside in the coaching staff uh, and the schedule. Their ability, their ability to be resilient without Jeff Choate, for sure. Um, I think that they have a, a backloaded schedule in terms of the difficulties, so I think they have an opportunity to start hot. I think they'll be 5-1 and one going into the Weaver State game, and then it's uh, judgment day for them. They, if, if they can go 2-1 and one in those tough road games, they're league champions. If they go 1-2, they're absolutely a playoff team, and they still could even maybe gut their way to not even winning one of those and still being on the fringe of the playoffs if they take care of business otherwise. Um, I voted Montana State to win the league just because I think they have the most talent in the wow. league. Um, but I fully understand the question marks that surround them. They're going to have to find a new identity to win under. It's not going to be about – Fire and brimstone and just bludgeoning opponents like in the Jeff Chart era. That said, though, they're still going to um, run the ball with authority. And, again, I think if you have the best offensive line in the league and one of the best defensive fronts in the league, you have a chance every single weekend. And uh, I think that's what Montana, what Montana State has. Yeah. I, I mean, I got no rebuttals. I, they're a good team. They could easily win the league. I just – I just, it's one of those things I just need Vegan to prove it to me, I guess. Uh, there's just teams I'm willing to give the nod over. Um, is my only reason for having them not one or two is I just needed to see that. You know, I, we have no idea what Vegan looks like as a head coach. And most of the staff, well, I guess they kept a good chunk of the staff, but we'll see. I just, we'll see. The number one factor Montana State has in their advantage has nothing to do with any sort of football related personnel. That has everything to do with the institutional momentum of the university and the town. Yeah. For better or worse, Bozeman's blowing up. And the Wadi Cruzado's the best president in the Big Sky Conference. They're going to have a Mountain West size enrollment soon. And they're going to have a Mountain West campus soon. So, what does that mean for their future? I'm not, that's a conversation for another time. But the fact is, when recruits go on visits, if parents are going with them, that's one of, if not the best educations you're getting in the Big Sky Conference. It's the most affluent, upscale, and rising town in the Big Sky. It's going to be a metropolitan area. It is uh, the best dining halls, the best dorms. They're going to keep getting super good recruits, no matter who the football coach is. And I just think they got to capitalize on it, but I think that they already have that going. So even with the coaching change, I still think they're going to be in the mix for the title. Yeah, I can believe it. And they've got probably the best offensive and defensive line in the league, so that doesn't hurt either. Um, cool, but who's who's picking number two? Is it you, Brian? Uh, it's you. Oh, uh, Montana. Uh, it's, it's not an awesome pick, so I guess we can just really roll this into uh, 
a quarterback play. I mean, I'd be curious to ask Coulter on where they're at in that competition. Is it going to be Cam Humphreys? Um, I I think that team. I mean, we nailed it. Montana just has this belief about them. I mean, they do it in a state that is not heavily known for producing high functioning college, you know, or uh, high school recruiting. Like it's not a hotbed. Like Alabama is not sending a scout to Montana every year to check it out. And the Montana, Montana state are like the Kings are just finding guys that buy into their system and just training them. Like I know every program has like the R our kind of guys, the EKGs, the whatever, (laughs) But, like, there it just feels different. Like, they have these guys that are usually zero stars. That's why they're always at the bottom of, like, 247's recruiting because 247 doesn't even have profiles on half these dudes. And then they get to Montana and Montana State, and it's just they believe and they're coached and they they have the frame and they're just – yeah, it works. It just works. And you can't explain it. There's just something to it. Well, there's part part of it is that the – if you're two twenty four seven sports, you're not going to waste resources sending some guy to Dillon, Montana. Yeah, but the fact yeah, that Brandon Huffman is like not Troy going Anderson, out there. Like Troy Anderson, this isn't like some surprise. Like Troy Anderson, if he wasn't from a town of freaking seven thousand people, <laughs> where everybody is either a farmer or works at the John Deere dealership, like he never went to a camp in his life. He was raising steers for four H. Like yeah. there's no there's no recruiting tour. He knows he's gonna play college football at Montana State, and if he balls out, he's gonna go, gonna go to the NFL. So that's what he dreams of his whole life. That's what he does. Like if he was in any other place in the world, if he just grew up in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, three and a half hours north, or even Pocatello, or somewhere, like it's not because he's not. It's not because the guys aren't good recruits. It's because no one's scouting them. Yeah. The only people that are recruiting are Montana schools. That's why the Montana schools have always been so good. Because you would never send a guy to Drummond, Montana. But then there's a guy in Drummond, Montana that's going to become a fifth-round draft pick as a running back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Troy Anderson's a four-star recruit if he grows up anywhere else. And it's one of the hugest advantages the Montana schools have, man. It really is. Like, Jace Lewis, if he was just in Meridian, Idaho, he's a two-star recruit with offers from, you know, I don't know. He'd probably get a preferred walk on to Boise State, get an offer from Utah State. Like, yeah, Nevada. Just, yeah. Exactly. They just don't get seen at all. And it's one of the biggest advantages Montana, Montana has because they have dudes who are underdeveloped, underscouted, like dudes from 800 person towns that have never gone to a camp in their lives, but they've been lifting weights and bucking bales and all this stuff. And it's what's, it's what's so beautiful about covering football, man, in the state of Montana. But Bobby Houck, to your point, he knows how to cultivate that better than anybody. And that's the thing. Like, when you ask about why the Grizz are better, I think they've added, like, six to eight individual guys that are elite talents. But mostly the reason they're better is because they have a whole bunch of dudes, most of them from Montana, who are ready to just play their absolute asses off for Bobby Houck. And, they, I mean, they're going to play 25 guys on defense. They're yeah. going to play nine guys on the offensive line. Eight guys at receiver, five guys at running back. And how many of those guys are actually the best players in the conference? Maybe like three or four. But you got so many dudes who would be better than most guys in the conference. That's why I think Montana's going to roll. Because there's, it's Bobby Hawk's system to a T, man. He's ready to seriously roll out 70 dudes who want to play for the name on the front, as the cliche would go, 
But it's true. It's a try and true formula, and he's the best I've ever seen at it. Yeah. I'm going to say Montana looks – I'm not actually concerned that much about the quarterback position there because Cam Humphrey is at least serviceable if he's the starter. He's at least okay. Cam Humphreys was losing to Idaho when he was starting. Well, until okay, that was one game. He also like killed Portland State, and Idaho hung a big zero on Portland State. So, I mean, I yeah, it's not I just, that he's not the best quarterback in the league, but he's fine if he's their starter. He's it's fine. That, All he's got to do is just just make throw it, it to Sammy. <laughs> exactly, dude. Just throw it to eighteen, man. That's like. Or I mean, here's the other things like Gabe Solser is is gonna be the dude if you can figure it out. Like that, he's he is one of the breakout stars in the league, no question. Uh, if you can figure it out, man, because he he was one of the best recruits to come out of Montana in the last ten years. He's supposed to be like the not not in the diversity or like the the mythical lore, but just in terms of the prestige of the recruit, he's the Troy Anderson of Montana. Like that was Bobby's answer to Montana State when they got Troy Anderson was getting Gabe Solser. And he's been banged up for two years, so time is now. But I just think that he could be a big impact, too. I just think that Humphrey only has to be solid. Just get the ball to the dudes, man. Like, they have <laughs> so many dudes at receiver. It's it's crazy. Brian, you made a comment earlier. Who would you say you thought are the best receivers in the league? Because it's not whoever you said. It's Montana. No, I said Northern Arizona has pretty dang good receivers do, over Brandon Porter. They might have the, yeah. Yeah. Maybe the best Johnson, starting trio. <laughs> But yeah. like not the best receivers, yeah. yeah. Like well, combined talent wise, but I mean, Sammy Cam is the guy this year. And 100%. if Samori Toure was still here, he would be one or two as well. Like for sure. And Solster is going to be one of the most explosive athletes in the league. They think Keelan White is their best pro prospect. He's only a redshirt freshman. Like they got dudes, man. Like Vince <laughs> Roberts will be a contributor. They have they have so many receivers. Which is ironic because it's such a it's the uh, it's the only parting gift from the Bobstead era. Well, and that's see you just touched on why I have a little more faith in Montana is from year one to year two Montana looked a lot stronger on both sides of the line uh, under Bobby Houck. I actually think Bobby Houck's first year going six and five easily could have been seven and four. You know, get that French playoff spot was an underrated uh, or misunderstood um, season in terms of getting great results when with how undermanned they were on the offensive line. And I just, I expect Montana with, especially with some of the transfers that they have from, you know, they have some pop, like pac 12 transfers that off the top of my head, I don't know the names, uh, Coulter, I know you do, but uh, I think they're gonna be stronger defensively than they were last year. I think they're going to be stronger on both sides on, on the line on both sides. And they were already a team that got a buy in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said um, it on my show today, man. Everybody I always asks, what's the magic sauce for Bobby Howe? You want to know the magic sauce? There isn't any magic sauce. He doesn't try to recruit plug-and-play. He doesn't rely on getting big-time three-star recruits. He only gets dudes who want to sell out for Montana, and he demands this militaristic system where you can only survive if you meet the standard, and then he progresses every single guy. And if you can't make it, he replaces you with somebody else, and it just builds and builds and builds. And that's why Montana's, like, under Houck's be- his best teams. They litter the second and third teams, all big sky. They never had all first-team all big sky guys. Never had all Americans because they never had the best players in the league. They just had 50 of the next 100 after the first <laughs> 20, and that's what Bobby Houck does, man. That's, that's his brilliance. Yeah. It leaves us 
with one last team to talk about, Chris. I'm so Weaver's surprised State. that this is the consensus pick. I, is I didn't it put consensus? Yeah. I didn't put Weaver State as number one in my poll. It's uh, I guess it's the until they get beat, you just sure. give it to them. I, I, I mean, yeah, I guess at the end we've had some fun in this entire poll, and then you could have some fun at the one spot, and it's like the most basic plug-in pumpkin spice pick of all time. Right. Like, right. they've won four in a row. They're looking for five. Jay Hill's still there. I, I mean, let's touch, it, on that, let's touch on that for just one second. I was thinking about this the other day. Jay Hill now has five playoff appearances, four Big Sky Conference titles. He is the greatest coach in the history of Weber State. He's an Urban Meyer and Ron McBride disciple. So he has a, a phenomenal coaching tree. And he will get an FBS job sooner than later. And there's an opportunity. And, and in fact, there's a very high chance that Jay Hill will get his next job, an FBS job without ever having won Big Sky Conference Coach of the Year. How about yeah. that shit? How funny it's, is that? Like, how funny is that? That's a, such a referendum on the award. Because he's the best yeah. coach in the league, and he has been. Yeah, and it's, it's just like, it, it's weird. And we always, we're bringing it up in our, like, little chat with the poor Montana State fans because they love <laughs> Jeff Choate. And they were kind of sitting there, and they were like, how is it that Jeff Choate always gets looked at? You know, like, the last two years, he's come up in rumors. Like, you know, Boise State, then it was this, then he leaves for Texas. And and Jay Hill, like, never gets whispers. And it's like, the Weaver guys are like, he's waiting for Utah. Like, he's turned down Utah State, apparently. I don't know how true that is, but it's like, yeah, it's crazy that, like, you have a guy like Jeff Choate who never won the conference. Right. Um, His claim to fame is basically never losing to the Grizzlies, which – in the big yep. sky matters, but in the national scheme things doesn't matter. But yet this guy is getting offers to be the head ball coach for the Boise State Broncos and then gets to go now coach at a SEC, you know, traditional blue blood of college football. Like it's what it's wild how this stuff works sometimes. And Jeff Choate took over a program with a pretty dang good winning tradition. I mean, Rob Ash had them cooking. I know people are like, well, at the end they finished eighth or ninth, whatever, but yeah, like whatever. They won what first three or four years in a row, whatever. And it's like <laughs> Jay Hill took over a program that has like struggled, struggled. Like we had Rob Akey right. on our show at one point, you know, alma mater is Weber State, played defense line for him, and he was just like saying, like, Oh yeah, we like we were bad. They've been bad. And he goes, he's like, for I'm sure. tuning into him now. Like they're getting their alumni back into it, and like, yeah, this guy doesn't get any looks. Like Probably should have been the coach of the year the last four years. Uh, well, Troy Taylor definitely deserved it in 19. That's sure, bad, but that's but. the funniest part is that we pick coach of the year based on what the media's perception of who's going to suck and then who doesn't suck. That's True. Because like, Hill was percept like he was perceived to not really suck every year yeah. that he's won the league and got the playoffs. Like, congratulations, yeah. you you did exactly what you were supposed to do. You get right. no award. Yeah, exactly. But and I think that's it's like MVP. It. It, like the MVP, like the NBA for like the last decade has been LeBron James, but like we give it to other people just because like, oh, wow, there's somebody that kind of like pushed exactly. LeBron James this year. Well, it's what, like, I yeah. take, what I'm taking away from this is because we're not a podcast. Weber State has figured out early what gets your program to turn around. You need to fire Jody Sears. The last <laughs> two guys who replaced Jody Sears are Jay Hill at Weber State and then Troy Taylor at Sacramento State. We need to hire Jody Sears on a one-year contract, get rid of him. We're gold. The funniest Deal. part about this is that Jody Sears never got hired as a head coach. 
He was the defensive coordinator for Marshall Spurback at Sac State. When Spurback got on that NCAA trouble, then he got promoted to interim and got abruptly fired. And this might be in the opposite order, actually, because he was first at Weber State after he got – so he was with Paul Wolf at Washington State. That's right. And then went to Weber State with John L. Smith. John L. Smith takes the job in January, coaches through spring ball, bails on Weber, never coaches a game there. Jody Sears gets promoted to interim coach. Two years at Weber, fired. D.C. at Sac State for Marshall Spurbeck. Spurbeck gets NCAA violations, fired. Jody Sears, interim coach, round two. <laughs> Poor Jody Sears, man. I love Jody Sears. He's such a good coach, and he was so fun on the podcast and stuff. But, yeah, man, he got steeped with two bad situations for sure. Yeah, that's that just sucks. But, uh, I mean – does anybody? I mean, is there an argument why Weber shouldn't be one? I mean, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll, I'll give the argument. In yeah. the spring, they had one convincing win, Week One versus yeah. Idaho State. Offense. Otherwise, yeah, I mean, otherwise, look in 2019, Weber State was actually pretty solid offensively. I know the story is, is that they don't score, but 2019, they're fine. Um, they certainly reverted in the spring. Um, I know Bronson Barron looked great in Week One against Idaho State, but. You know, uh, 214 yards per game. You know, not exactly, uh, not exactly lighting the world on fire. Narrow win. You know, three point win against Southern. Uh, sorry, three point loss in the playoffs against Southern Illinois. Five point win last regular season game against Idaho State. Uh, I can also tell you that that first round loss in the playoffs was like the least surprising first round loss. I, I guess I, I could I can remember. Yeah. Uh, other, you know, in the last few years. So, I mean, the case is at some point, if you don't score very much, it's just really hard to have a world beating defense every single year that is always operating without much margin for error. And the case of them not being number one is this is the year that that margin for error finally isn't big enough. Yeah. Um, I, I, I buy that as a valuable option uh, or uh, uh, like you nailed it. Uh, Coulter, you got any kind of closing points here on Weber state or the, the table we got? Cause uh, I know we had some other stuff on the outline, but uh, we usually keep the show to an hour and we're pushing too. So I think we'll, we'll let you off the hook and go enjoy your new Casa. but well, we have it. one last thing we have to get to. Okay. I'll okay. let Brian. Well, well, just, just, just a quick point on Weber state. I think that when people are deciphering coaching, um, Jay Hill dominates the elements of the non-sexy positions, especially on special teams, more than anybody in the league. Bobby House can have an answer for that. But Jay Hill literally banks two to three, sometimes four Big Sky wins a year by drawing up an unorthodox kick return that Rashid Shaheed houses or <laughs> taking the four field goals to, you know, to beat UC Davis 19-16 or whatever. Like, it's not sexy. It's not impressive. It's not what fans want, but he does it all the time. And the fact that they've won, I think, what, 35 out of their last 42 Big Sky games, pretty impressive. So even though I did not pick Weaver State to win the league, I can't argue against the fact that they are number one. They have won the league four years in a row. You're the champions until you're dethroned. Yeah. Brian, what's your, what's your closer here? Oh, it's, sorry. It's not any Big Sky conference stuff. It's that we have to get iced before we call it. Oh, duh. Yeah, you're right. Uh, 
So, Coulter, we do a segment on here where um, we basically, it's called Getting Ice, where we've been pounding you with questions, although not really today. It's been more of a little bit back and forth, but we'll give you a second to think of a question and ask us anything you want. It could be sports-related or not. Uh, You've got an ad read to think about it. And then, uh, yeah, so get ready to hit us with that. That was Around the Bar brought to you by Hughes River Expeditions. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental United States located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the salmon, the main salmon river of no return, the salmon river canyons, or the Selway. And you can even check even check out special trips like the one to see the Perside Meter Shower, which I think is like this weekend, actually. Camp on pristine beaches. Run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, and take in river all along, uh, or take in the history all along the river's edge. You bring your clothes and let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions is vandalone and operates since 1976 and ready to take you on a vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or, call, or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Getting iced, Coulter. What do you got for us? True or false? True or false? The Idaho Vandals, as an athletic department, particularly football and basketball, men's basketball, that is, are approaching and or have already established a position as one of the irrelevant teams in the Big Sky Conference. Well, that's basketball. I mean, I I did the shows, instant reaction shows, covering all their games last year. That the jury's in there. Uh, we're irrelevant for basketball. It, it, brutal. It it's might, brutal. How we're did that happen? Need... They, they did they win like twenty three games like four years ago. We had a spell of a couple twenty year. <laughs> yeah, we had. Idaho, Idaho was one of my favorite teams to watch and favorite teams to cover in the Big Sky when they first got back to the league. That first iteration with uh, the the two shooters, Mike Scott and who was the other one, Connor something. Oh, Connor Hill. Connor Hill. That team was sweet. And then the next generation with Vic Sanders and, and DJ Blake and Perrion Collindret and the Sherwood brothers. Yeah. The team was sick. Trayvon Allen was sick. How did yeah. that, that's so crazy that that happened. They fell so far so fast. Don't have a coach with a whistle who's not supposed to, apparently. That's <laughs> right. Right. Well, uh, the other part, too, is for basketball. I mean, Don Verlin had one of our – we're in the midst of th- three years running, 10 combined D1 wins. I mean, Don Verlin whiffed on a ton of guys. I've done the breakdowns of this. We've, we, for like three years in a row, had young teams, and no, almost no one stays. But it's because they're not D1 guys. The guys leaving Idaho aren't fleeing to greener pastures. Our leading scorer, Damon Thacker, is at MSU Billings D- from league score sure. last year. He's at MSU sure. but, Billings but t- this year. To argue that though, like Tyson, Katie, and Jared Rodriguez, those guys were good. They they would have and could have and should have been good Big Chat players. Yeah. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, is that, by is the right, way, that right, Katie? Who who was the who was the shooter two years ago? Tyson something. Cam Tyson. He's Cam at Seattle Tyson. U now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have so been at Houston. Katie's a, a sprinter from Cold Strip, Montana. What a Freudian slip. We're uh, not going to hold that against you. Uh, um, no, that kid was good though, man. Yeah, he was. I mean, he's good. He's gonna be great. Seattle, you. He look. Uh, Tyson transferred prior to Verlin's firing, so that, that yeah. had nothing to do with Verlin. Uh, Rodriguez transferred after Verlin's firing. That probably did have something to do. And Jared Rodriguez is back in the Big Sky at Idaho State this year. Right, one of the funniest which, transfers there is. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's uh, speaking of devastating. But basketball, I mean, we have some transfers that make me think we're not going to be worse than last year because how could we possibly be? It was, we were one of the worst. We had we were tied for the worst scoring margin in the Big Sky Conference in the 21st century. Like, you're just not – Right, you're not, right. and I, I, I promise I didn't make that up. That's uh, I can no, send you the citation no, for that. They were losing by like what 18 or 20 points a game, I like 16. Like, a, we had like a negative, I think it's negative 15.7 square margin, something like that. But uh, for basketball, no, like even if we're better, we're okay. It's it'll be two years and a new guy is yeah. what will need to happen. Our arena actually might be a difference maker for us with a new guy. Football, we're very close, man. Um, because I think Idaho's at the point right now where, though we want to be, we think we should be associated with the Montanas and the Montana States because institutionally we are one of the better universities. Historically, we, you know, we were pretty good. We were good. We left the Big Sky. Right now, we're actually in a class with Idaho State, and until that statement is preposterous then no we kind of are irrelevant or the relevance is whose playoff season who who can we spoil from making the playoffs yeah i think we're we just went through a rough patch i'm gonna say false yeah we're we went through a real rough patch between football dead horse paul honestly seeming like the instant he got his teeth kicked just kind of was okay with like i'm just gonna write out my contract and do with whatever and then basketball had some violations slip up, had a president firing who took down, you know, made sure he took the basketball coach with them, the AD getting fired. We just had everything kind of come down on us at once. At the end of the day, we've got a rather large athletic budget. Like, I think that will carry us through, hopefully. I mean, we were just able to build a $46 million basketball arena for a basketball team that we just covered. Hasn't been very good recently. And Eastern can't build a, what, $14 million football upgrade. Like at the end of the day, I think we'll be all right. But yeah, right now it's, it's been a rough five years probably for the Idaho Vandals, which is a great time to start an Idaho Vandal podcast, right in the, uh, the devers of the uh, history books. Yeah. No, Idaho is just going to have to, at here's some point, though, like here's, I, here's a thing. I think there's a chance that I know just has to have a turnaround at some point. I do think there can be a point where, if you kick your fan base in the nuts 500 times in a row, like 501 might be one too many. And I think Idaho, we're not there, but I think we're closer to that point than you might guess. An, uh, an old athletic director once told me that winning is not what matters most. It's the hope of winning. But a fan base has to have had the hope of winning instilled within them. Idaho is definitely relevant in the Big Sky Cowboys because they have a fan base that cares. You guys have an Idaho podcast. There's no Southern Utah podcasts. So, yeah. so, you know, that's the whole part of the story is that it is relevant because people care. And uh, it's not about winning. It's about the hope of winning. And Idaho won for a long time, so they have the hope of winning still. So, um, you, like you you said you think of the nuts 500 times, but you guys still believe there's an opportunity for them to win, and I think it's important for the league, man. I think that I know winning is important for the league for sure. So, um, that's why I asked you guys that question because I think that the fact is that there might be some irrelevancy slipping in, but there's a lot of people that care, so that's the thing that's going to keep slipping all the way, yeah. Uh that's great. God, it's the hope of winning. 
Coulter just dropped, like, he's had a couple quotes that they, uh, I get, you know, everybody has a full-time job to recruit and what a, what a great episode. Coulter, we want to thank you for coming on. Um, it, it's been awesome. I mean, like we said, it, getting the biggest brain in the big sky on here to talk big sky. We usually run this thing at an hour and here we are two minutes and four seconds. And I feel like we've only wasted about four minutes and 11 seconds of people's time. So, <laughs> But well, thanks uh, for having me on, boys. It was yeah, a real and then, pleasure. Uh, and, uh, appreciate it, man. Yeah, and people want to find you. What's the best way to do it? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Skyline Sports MT, or you can go to SkylineSportsMT.com. Uh, actually, there's a transition coming in the Idaho Athletic Department uh, with a connection of mine that's going to up a little bit of exposure and coverage, Skyline Sports. So you can check that out. Or if you want to listen to my daily radio show uh, throughout Montana. 1029ESPN.com. You can stream it or find the podcast there as well. And uh, we talk mostly Montana sports, but we do talk a lot of Idaho and Idaho State stuff too. So uh, check it out. SkylineSportsMT.com or 1029ESPN.com. Perfect. Well, once again, we want to thank Colton for coming on. Make sure you check out his stuff. If you had, if you didn't know who he was already, I'd be surprised. But now you got to maybe get a little bit more exposed to him than you you would have otherwise. Uh, for all you vandals out there, the Idaho women have a soccer game against Wazoo on Friday in the Kibbe Dome. So go check it out. Um, other than that, it's time to close down the bar. Uh, Brian, we'll see you in two weeks. Well, maybe not you, but the rest of the crew will be back in two weeks. Preview Idaho. Now it's time for the best band in all the land, the sound of Idaho to play us out. Go Vandals.